We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it's episode 47, and we've got a celebration to kick things off. The Cleveland Browns have won a playoff game. We are going to celebrate that as they head on to the divisional round and to join us in talking Browns football. We're really excited. From the Orange and Brown Report, we've got Jake Burns on the podcast. Also this week, we are getting ready for some hockey. We're getting ready for the Blue Jackets, and to do that, we have Fox Sports TV analyst Jean-Luc Grandpierre, one of the original Blue Jackets. He joins us to talk hockey as well. It's an awesome double guest episode. We're going to have a ton of fun. So come on up the driveway, pull out your favorite lawn chair, crack open your favorite cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. And welcome on in, everybody, to episode 47 of the Garage Beers podcast. Go find us online at The Garage Beers on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find us at The Garage Beers podcast on Facebook. With you, as always, I'm your host, Michael Keefe. Find me at Garage Beers Mike on Twitter and Instagram. And with me, as always, uh, the two best co-hosts that I could ask for over on the east side of Cleveland, Chad Meyer at Garage Beers. Chad, what's going on, Chad? Hey! Hi! Guys, is there any regular season in sports that just feels more meaningless than college basketball? No, it's the worst. Like, 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 like honestly, everybody's just waiting for the tournament. That's really all it is. I mean, there's just so many meaningless games on TV throughout the regular season. It's just like, all right, is it March yet? You're like, like, like tonight, at, you know, I'm watching Michigan play like St. Mary Vladivostok. University of 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 nuns, and they're winning sixty two to twenty nine. Like, did that really need to be televised? Did that really need to be televised? But uh, yeah, other than that, I'm great. I'm hyped. The Browns are playing the Chiefs this week <sighs> to go for a chance to go to the AFC Championship game. Chad, and we're going to talk about Chad. It. To your we're point, gonna we are going to talk about that. We are going to talk about yeah. that. But to your point, that's yeah. always my gripe with college basketball. It's that, and then it's it's not just that the games don't really matter, because I don't care about that so much. It's it's that the results never seem to matter. Like, again, I always go back to, like, UNC or Kentucky or Duke or Louisville or whatever, one of those big-name teams, they could go yeah. 500. They could go 15 right. and 16, 16 and 16, 15 and 15, whatever, and they'll be like a, right. no worse than a five or a six seed in the tournament. Right, right. Like, it doesn't. 
right. it's not just that it doesn't matter. It's that nobody makes it matter. And then you'll have, right. it'll be like last four in and you'll get these 500 who cares teams from big conferences. And then it'll be, there'll be like a 15 and one team from like, I don't know, the Mac or something. And they'll just get left out. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or not 50. 100%. It wouldn't be 15. It would be like 25 and one or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. It's right. ridiculous. <laughs> so we're griping about that, but Chad's right. We're going to get into some rounds before we do that. We got to bring our other guy in down in Nashville, Tennessee, find him online at garage beers, Joe, Joey Whalen. What's up, Joe? And the other guy. Yeah. Well, you always have been Joe. And the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> Set the bar low, bar low, aim high, or something like that. Um, right. Have you ever experienced an Ohio State national championship game um, that you like weren't so consumed with because the Browns won their game the day before? And right. like, I I don't know, like I hate it because I I am a big Ohio State fan, but this year the Browns have just taken precedence in like my mind and what's consuming my thoughts. And like, I hate to say, it, but almost that game last night was kind of like an afterthought like i was still just like pumped about <laughs> the browns kicking the sealers in the chin it softened the blow it did I'll tell that's you that probably a better way to put it, it. it it softened the blow like if the browns lost and then the buckeyes like got their ass kicked like they did yesterday i i i don't know i don't know if i make it on the pod tonight i'd just be like i'd be i'd already be drunk i'd be like ah <laughs> screw you screw it <laughs> Screw it. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. It's it's it it's three factors to me for Ohio the Ohio State loss. Factor number one, you're right, the Browns. Right? Mm-hmm. That was amazing. We'll get to it. Factor number two, um not to make excuses, but like we've talked all season. We have had awesome guests and we have talked all season about how this Buckeyes team, especially defensively, is built a little different and they're built inside out. So, like, right before the game, when all the interior defensive linemen were out of that game, that's the biggest strength of that defense, and it didn't even play. So that was like, well, what are you going to do now? Number three, though, uh, Alabama was just – they're just too good. It's just – they're just – I don't care who you threw. It could have been, like, an all-star team from the other conferences versus Alabama, and Alabama probably is going to win that game. Like, they they were just – it's just, they're just too good. So what, like you get to halftime of that game and you're like, well, it was a good effort for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I knew you, you walked, you went into that game knowing Alabama was going to score points. It was just a matter of whether that Ohio state offense could keep pace because, you know, this wasn't a dominant uh, Alabama defense uh, of the past. This wasn't one of the more dominant Alabama defenses of the past, but uh, yeah, that, that was really it was, it was, could this Ohio state, keep uh keep pace with them and they couldn't i mean right. it was that bottom line i tweeted it out uh, bottom line bama was making us earn it and we were making it easy for bama and that, <laughs> that was really what it came down to that's right <laughs> okay so before we get to an amazing episode where we talk football and hockey and browns and blue jackets and all that of course we got to start here on the garage beers podcast with our favorite segment every week it's the garage beers of the week time uh, so we're going to send it around the horn. Let's start it. Uh, Chad's real excited about his beer this week. So let's let Chad lead it off. Ooh. Chad, what's your garage beer? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm, ex- I'm not excited. I just have the probably like most the, the, the tallest and the most amount of ounces in one can that I'm going to drink that we've ever drank on this garage beer. Wow. And it's the. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go look. If you're listening, go look at our picture of the garage beers of the week. This is like, this is a 
Uh, what it's an eight, it's an, it's an eight ounce can. It's an eight ounce can. Oh uh, eight point four ounces to be exact. It's from J.W. Lee's Brewery. Chad, and this Chad, is, are the police? It sounds like out, are the police outside of your house right now? Like, what is going on? There are oh. lights flashing. I have something <laughs> something to tell you guys. <laughs> no, it's not uh, a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> just kidding. No, uh, wrestling's on right now. But um, oh. uh, Shinsuke Nakamura is making his entrance. It's kind of weird. Uh, anyway, this is J.W. Lee's Brewery in uh, Manchester, United Kingdom. Oh, uh, oh it, it was, Manchester. It was uh, established in 1828. All right. <laughs> and this is uh, the... Harvest Ale, and it's an autumn limited edition. Oh. Right. And it's uh, it's 11.5% alcohol. Oh, okay? my God. And just let me read you what it says real quick. It says, the, this fully fermented robust ale has been brewed as a celebration of the brewer's art. It can be enjoyed now or laid down like a vintage wine for enjoyment in years to come. Ooh, wow. So this is a, this is a beer that you can drink now or later. <laughs> and a four-pack is only $25. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> you know who you sounded like? What? You, your little British thing sounded just like uh, the British guy. I think his name was Del Preston from Wayne's World 2. You remember Wayne's <laughs> World yet. 2 where they that's like it. went over that's and they it. found him? That's you it. sounded just like him. I, I, I took it. I took uh, and sitting there was Mick Jagger. <laughs> oh my God. And that's, and that's so it. good. And that's it. Are you there? <laughs> there's so oh, many. Del Preston. There's so many uh, different accents in England. I just had to, I just picked one. So, you picked yeah. the Del Preston. All right. So what was I the name Del of the beer again? Cause I don't remember. Uh, J.W. Lee's is the brewery. It's from Manchester, United Kingdom. And it was just called the Harvest Ale Autumn Limited Edition. So Beautiful. Cur- All right. Bring this, in some. This, courtesy, I got to give a shout out. Courtesy of my friend Aaron Williams, uh, because he was sick of the IPAs on the show. He was like, I'm getting you a couple beers. Oh, all right, <laughs> so he just Aaron got, Williams. He just got, got me one of these. Aaron, if you're sick of the beers, send them to all of us, brother. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Joey, what do you got for your garage beer this week? Well, now I feel bad. I got an IPA. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron um, Williams. <laughs> this is a, this is a tribute to um, I, I tore a ligament in my hip somehow. Um, I I don't know how, but I, I think I have to have surgery on it in a couple of weeks. So in honor of that, I have the hipster hipster oh! repellent IPA uh, from Falser Beers. See what you did there. Pretty creative, right? Thought of that all by myself. Hi, <laughs> um, it's a uh, piney West Coast style IPA, and boy, is it piney! Um, I kind of feel like I'm 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 drinking IPAs for the first time with this one, where it's kind of like, oh, that's like a little weird tasting. And then like halfway through, you're like, oh, okay, I like this. It's still weird. Oh. Still weird. It's a little less weird. It's definitely not my favorite, but I I'm liking it the more I have it. <laughs> all right, so. We got some piney IPAs going on. We got some British ales going on over there with right, Del Preston. Right, uh, and I'm going to finish it up with an Ohio uh, uh, brewery. Um, one of my favorites. <laughs> I'll, take on, these, I'll take these pills of cyanide. And <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> cyanide. Uh, could, you, could you just do all the Del Preston uh, 
Could you do all the Del Preston quotes from Wayne's World too, please? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to next episode. I got to look them up. Soyanoid. Right. Uh, so I'm going to bring it into Ohio. We've got England. We've got where was yours? Tennessee. Was yours Tennessee, Joe? Louisville. Oh, Louisville. Louisville. Uh, I'm bringing it back to Ohio, but not far from Louisville. I'm going down to Cincinnati. I'm going to Mad Tree Brewery. Uh, and this is a really good beer. Uh, I got their Phantom Forest Juicy Imperial IPA. Uh, oh, God. If you shut the hell up, Jeff. If you <laughs> see this uh, on your shelves at your local store, pick it up. It's really, really good. Like one of the better uh, juicy IPAs, and it's Imperial, so it's a little heavier. It is so stinking delicious. Uh, so Mad Tree down in Cincinnati. It's called Phantom Forest Juicy Imperial IPA. That's my garage beer of the week. So we got Kentucky, we got Ohio, and we've got Manchester uh, represented on the garage beers of the week. And now it is time. Oh, by the way, let us know. Apparently, Chad's buddy, what was his name? Aaron Williams? Aaron Williams, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have a problem letting us know. Uh, let us know what you're drinking this week. Send us suggestions. We will try them out. We'll go get them. Uh uh, but those are our garage beers. Uh, cheers to you guys. Cheers to the listeners. And now we are really excited because we have an awesome uh, podcast to get to, uh, starting with some Browns talk. All right. So first up here, uh, we are super excited to have our very sp- first special guest of the episode. We've got a big episode. Our first special guest, uh, he covers the Browns, does some film analyzing, football writer for the Orange and Brown Report. Go find them at the OBR on Twitter. Uh, but if you're a Browns fan and you're on Twitter, you know this guy. Uh, we're super excited to have on. Find him at Jake underscore Burns 18. Jake Burns, welcome to the Garage Beers podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be on. Yeah, so I guess question number one is, is this, it, like, how are you finding your way through this having to do Brown stuff that doesn't involve the draft this far into January? <laughs> it's a great question. It's such, listen, these two years between 20 and 21 now have have morphed into this, like, endless pit of time that that even though I'm probably supposed to be accustomed to working on draft stuff or yearly reviews at this point, I don't know, man. It's like, what day of the week is it anymore? We're in like the upside down, right? We're just in this weird circle circle of football time where it doesn't feel quite real. And, and um, you know, it's weird. You asked that question because I thought about this. I thought about this. I was podcasting myself on my own Sunday night. Like, you know, the NFL is, for so long has just kind of felt like this thing that everybody else gets to enjoy. Like, you know, we have always had the Browns. They left for a little while. They, they came back. And especially this 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 20-year, you know, now 21-year stretch where it's like everybody else has fun with the NFL. And we're just kind of these perpetual struggles, these, these, these like laughable losers. And now all of a sudden it's like I'm supposed to take this Kansas City game seriously. You know what I mean? Like I took the Pittsburgh game seriously, but it was really, it was really cool. And it was like, right. all right, we got here. And, you know, it may, there, there's so many things that were working against them. It's like, okay, they got to the playoffs. It's so freaking great. And then they do this. And then you kind of start scratching your head saying, well, maybe these guys are pretty good. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's really, really unique. And I caught myself thinking like, this is what the NFL is supposed to be like, you know, these, <laughs> these games. I don't know if you how you guys felt Sunday, but like, I just like so emotionally drained after that game Sunday of just, oh. just thinking like, and I don't know when this will leave. Maybe it leaves in five years, maybe it leaves in 10 years, but I just, you just sit there and think, how can this go wrong? Like what, what conceivable thing can go wrong here to, to turn the tide and, 
all of a sudden the, 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 the biggest comeback in NFL history, uh, 28, nothing to play in the first quarter. Like you just, you just become so physically yeah. like drained. I just remember Sunday thinking to myself, like, this is just like, this is what the NFL must be like all the time when your team is competitive <laughs> and, and they're in big games and they're games that matter. And, and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, I and ironically enough, your question back to the, the manifest, you know, your question, it's, it's, it, it, it was today. I think it was hitting me because we have a weekly mock draft that we post at the OVR a guy named Stephen <laughs> Thomas does his Browns mock, uh, daily mock on Twitter. He's fantastic. Yeah. Funny, hilarious guys. He's a comedian. He's, he's great. And he just kind of sent me the stuff on, uh, he, I always proofread and put a cover photo up for him and, and I'm like, man, dude, Steve, we're talking about the divisional playoffs right now, man. And we're, we're traditionally, yeah. <laughs> traditionally doing my, it kind of just hit us today. So it's just, it's really cool. It's really cool. And you, you, you try to really enjoy it because we all, we all presume that it's going to keep happening. You know, they're going to keep taking the next step and they're just going to, the next year they'll be back. The next year they'll be back. Well, that's what we kind of thought in 2003 uh, after the 2002 playoffs. We've got the same thing in 2008 after they almost made the playoffs their 10. You just never know. So you have to really, you have to really try your best to soak it in because you never really know. We think this is going to be a, a thing that's going to last a while. I think it feels like it will be, but um, you never know. So you, so you really have to, to soak in the moment, and it's just really unique and cool that, they're, that they're, they've won a playoff game and they're playing these Super Bowl champions, and it's like there's a, it's, it's, it's a world in which they could win this game, and it's not that crazy. So You know what's cool? What, what's what, the difference, right, between 2002, 2003, and the next year – 2007, 2008, and the next year. And then now, 2002, three, you had Tim Couch versus Kelly Holcomb. 2007, eight, you had Derek Anderson versus Brady Quinn. There is none of that anymore. There is no, there's no Baker Mayfield versus the next guy. It's just Baker Mayfield. We don't have to worry about all the nonsense that those teams had to worry about. So hopefully that's a good step to make sure we don't get to those other parts. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great it's a great way to put it, and it's really cool, right? Like when you sit back and think about it. Another thing about the NFL is all these teams have figured out quarterback. At some point, they figured out quarterback, and it was just like they could sit back and enjoy. Well, we're kind of there now. Like, you know, the, the beginning we of the year, it. and I was I was thinking <laughs> we did it. I was thinking <laughs> to myself after I watched the first game, they they struggle in Baltimore, and a lot of the same bad habits for Baker were popping up from year two. And I wrote about it. I wrote like I think the title of the piece was you know, I, I'm concerned about Baker Mayfield. Here's why. And a lot of people were kind of pissy about it. And I got it. I know that there was a lot going on and, and I don't have to go through the laundry list of things that led into the season about things that would be working against Baker, but the habits were the habits and they had to be discussed. And the change that we have seen from the, the, the probably the second third of the season on have just been remarkable. He hasn't turned the football over. It really, listen, you, if you point, if you sat, looked at the calendar, where did this change for some reason? And again, I don't know why it, it, it for some reason it changed week seven, Cincinnati in the second quarter, it turned a corner. Yes. And I don't, I don't have, a, I don't have a tangible reason for why it happened, but it did. It just went that way. He lit them up. And since that point, he's taking care of the football at a high level. He's decisive. He knows where he wants to go with the football. He has a good feel for when teams pressure him where he needs to be. He has a good feel for sitting in the pocket and managing and navigating pressure that he was not showing early in the year. So kudos to Baker. First of all, you know, we talk about how guys turn themselves around. We want to give everybody else credit. This guy did it for him. That guy did. No, he did it. He did it himself in a large sense. He did the things that were, were truly necessary to turn it around. And 
then the right people were around him. Kevin helped, obviously, Alex Van Pelt, who we just saw call a fantastic game, his offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, fantastic work with him one-on-one. And then, you know, the, the things around him have kind of taken off as well. So it's offensive line, the people they've surrounded him with, so on and so forth. But, you know, to go from where we were about week six, that after that Steelers blowout, week six into week seven um, and what he's been able to do from that point forward is, is remarkable. And they've set themselves up to, to potentially talk extension this off season and maybe more. So um, it's uh, it's, it's been really unique to see. And I'm, I'm excited to see how he handles Kansas city. Do you still think that he needs, um, do you still think that he needs another year in this system to prove it? Or do you think he's already proven that he deserves another shot that he deserves you know, maybe at least contract extension talks. I think they'll talk. It's a good question. I think they'll talk. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what they, I mean, in, it, it gets more difficult by the week, right? Like he, he lights up Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, you know, or he gets them to the playoffs. Right. And it's like, okay, well, he's definitely going to get his fifth year. We're going to send, well, then he lights up the wild card. Okay. Well, now what if he goes into Kansas city and lights it up? You really, you really have to look at week by week where he's at and the growth that we've seen that I just kind of referenced earlier gets you to the point where it's like, okay, this is just your year one in what is a tough evaluation. You got to remember guys, typically people have three full years of the same coach, same coordinator, same system to, to, to evaluate what they have. So the Browns reset twice. They reset a third time, right? They reset a third time this year. So they really have had to rush what they're doing from an evaluation standpoint. And when you see a guy sort of turn quarterback play in progression from, from, from rookie year to, to where you want them, it's not always linear. It doesn't always just happen. You know, uh, he's at a certain point, he gets better and then he gets better and better and better. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes guys like Baker right. will come in and play very well. Then they'll kind of have a setback. And then maybe they start to figure it out. It's a chess match. It's a constant chess match. Come into the league. What does this guy do really well? Okay, he found success as a rookie doing X, Y, and Z. We're going to take that away from him. We'll, we'll see if he can figure out how to beat us if we take away what he's most comfortable with. Teams did that his second year. How does he adjust? How does he take coaching? How does he take the leadership that's necessary? And I'm telling you, he's checking the boxes. And he's really turning the corner from the mental, physical standpoints that are necessary. There should be discussions to answer your question. I don't know what Baker will do realistically for a price point, what the Browns think is the right price point. I expect a guaranteed lock fifth-year option pickup just to be safe. I do hope that they can come to a mutually beneficial deal because Baker obviously knows that he needs talent around him. Uh, and, 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 and they cannot break the bank for the quarterback contract that makes it hard to surround Baker with talent because, I, I mean, everything I've known about Baker from reading about him at Oklahoma and listening to every conceivable interview possible and since he's been in the NFL is that he understands the nature of team first. Now, I'm not asking the guy to take 20% less than what he should, but there has to be a look at how do I keep from breaking the bank to keep these guys that I view as important to keep them around me. And the good thing is that Baker's not Pat Mahomes right now. He hasn't put up those stats. He has not put up, you know, groundbreaking numbers. He's, he's been solid. So I think the, the, yeah. the mesh of where they think Baker is going to keep getting better. If you wait until after his fourth year, where maybe he goes 35 touchdowns, six interceptions, then that, that deal becomes a little bit more difficult. So maybe the idea is, to try to lock this thing in this offseason and try to figure out something that benefits both sides. And Baker can also say and mitigate some risk on his side where if he has a bad year, he still is kind of locked in that money. So I think there's a middle ground that they could find this offseason. So uh, if, if 
again, if you live under a rock or you're not on social media, then maybe you don't know Jake. Uh, but uh, if you're on social media, you know, Jake Burns breaks down film with the best of them. Uh, and that's it's uh, it's an awesome thing to watch every week. You've talked about this progression of Baker Mayfield uh, from just kind of a, an, an overarching standpoint. But from a technical standpoint, what do you, what are like, you know, I don't want you to go like uh, too deep into it. But what are the things that are standing out on his on the film when you're watching it that you're going that's the stuff. These are the things, the tweaks that Baker Mayfield is making in his game that is causing him to find the success that we've all expected him to find. Another good question. Uh, I think what you point at first is his, his ability to get his eyes where they need to be right off the snap. If you look at the time to throw stuff, which has gotten better for him, uh, especially of late, think about, I'm going to try to give you guys some recent examples. So think about week 17, week 18, what did they try to do? What were they comfortable with? Everybody wanted them to run the football. Listen, I love Nick Chubb, man. He's a unique, potentially as he continues, generational running back. He's fantastic. Kareem Hunt, former NFL rushing champs, your second back. It's kind of laughable how good right. they are at, those, at that position, yeah. How, yeah. They, how good they are up front. And what did they do, guys, in week 17 and 18? They relied on Baker Mayfield to win the football game. They put him in the gun, and they said, hey, man, I need you to decipher this defense because this is what Pittsburgh does not defend well. What did he do? He answered the call. The thing yeah. that he does, he does much better. Again, as I mark that Cincinnati game going forward, his eyes are in the right spot post snap. That means reading defenses pre snap to post snap and getting your eyes on your best option right away to deliver the football. You do not see him outside of the Jets game. I would say where that game was so haywire. He's down four <laughs> wide receivers. The game plan's changing in the parking lot before the game. He right. does not hold the football. And that matters in the NFL because if you are getting the football out of your hands quickly, you eliminate rush, uh, the, the threat of pass rush. You eliminate defenses being able to over-rotate and disguise coverage. You eliminate so many challenging aspects that it, that it truly – it makes it makes your entire offense because you're keeping your team ahead of the sticks. You're picking up first downs. Yeah. You're keeping your defense off the field. You're getting out in front of teams early, which matters for the way this team constructs itself. That stuff and that that that's you know people were so mad and it was like to me it, to me it tells me this: if you're saying we have to run the football, run the football, run the football, then that probably tells you something you're uncomfortable with, and that's that your quarterback's not good enough. That that that's usually something that's pretty telling. I think the Browns have faith in Baker and they said, Hey man, you're going to have to win us football games. Go show us you can. And he's yeah. responded. Now, another thing that was highly talked about was the pocket management. This guy bails clean pockets way too often. He scrambles, right? He throws into, he puts yes. himself in chaos, puts himself in chaotic situations. And I cannot speak higher about how well he has broken poor habits this year. The biggest play of the game Sunday night, in my opinion, it's early fourth quarter. It's third and six. Yep. He has every opportunity to bail the pocket right after his first read is eaten up in front of him. Instead, he settles in, keeps his feet together, and then at the last second is able to find Jarvis Landry springing out of his break to the right side. If you it's tough to recall, but he beat Robert Spillane number 41 Pittsburgh at the first yeah. at the at the right hash, hits him at his body at a weird Baker throws it from a weird arm angle, a weird base perfect accuracy they pick up a first down that ultimately leads to the nick chubb 40 yard screenplay touchdown that play was so key he traditionally would have bailed that pocket put himself in a bad situation instead he sits in with patience eats the pressure coming into his face but doesn't panic doesn't lose 
doesn't lose control of himself and delivers a football on third down that, like I said, ultimately leads to that, to that really key touchdown to put 45 points on the board. So, um, pocket those are the two biggest things he had to improve where were his eyes going pre-snap to post-snap and where and how does he manage the pocket because so many good nfl quarterbacks the best of the best the upper third the top 10 are able to stare down pressure without panicking and find ways to extend plays within the pocket extend those plays within the pocket yeah. with pocket management find passing windows to deliver the football and i'm so encouraged by his ability to do that well, and you have to like, you know, it's one of the things it's something I scream about because we're all over Twitter during games and whatever, and everybody just scream and run. Every time Baker throws the ball, Twitter explodes. He could throw for a touchdown and Twitter explodes. Which he should have ran the ball more <laughs> like it's it's the thing that I don't understand why people aren't grasping. You cannot just even if you are the best running team in the NFL, which the Browns are up there, you cannot just run the ball when the defense knows that you just want to run the ball. It's because the curse, that's it's the curse still of an NFL defense. Backs. Yeah, it's the curse of good running backs. You have Nick, you have Kareem. Yeah. People just think you need to hand the football off every play. And you, you, you couldn't be more right. You can't you can't do that. Partly because Baker happens, Baker needs to make plays to open up the running game. That's how that needs to happen. Absolutely. And there's a conversation to be had about the Browns uh, wide receiver personnel and lacking somebody who takes the lid off the defense. Yep. So that's a different discussion for the offseason about how they kind of have repetitive skill sets at the wide receiver position. They need they need a Brashad Perriman type, a guy who can really run past people and threaten the second level and third level so defenses can't crowd forward. But a lot of what Kevin Stefanski does is three tight ends, two tight ends, one fullback, heavy personnel stuff. And what does that do, guys? It invites more people into the mm-hmm. box, and that makes running challenging sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you can't just turn on hands off. Now, what I did love was Sunday night, we saw Alex Van Pelt break some tendencies. They put him in the gun, and they ran some counter schemes. Uh, up front that were really effective shotgun running plays that I've been kind of craving a little bit more of this year, which I like that. You have to spread teams out in the NFL to run sometimes, and I thought that they did a nice job finding some of those things. But you couldn't be more right. You have good running backs. That's great. But you have to throw. This is going to be – it's going to be a throwing league whether you want it to be or not. It's not going to go back to the way you envisioned football when you were a child when it was 35 rushing attempts a game. It's just never going to be right. that way anymore. Right. So, you know, you you have to – it's great you have these running backs who are phenomenal and they close games for you, but you have to find a way to get out in front. And that's what Baker's done a really nice job of the second and third portions of the season here is he's he's put them in play-action situations early. He's been really good. He's been, he's been even better in, in straight pocket, you know, straight drop situations too. So – you know, you yeah. can complain all you want, but your quarterback has to win you football games. And if your quarterback is not winning you football games and you're complaining about teams needing to run, 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 then you probably need to have a different discussion. So I just think people have been impatient with that. I think they've lost sight of the burden that has been the end of the season with what they've dealt with, yeah. uh, both on the offensive line, what they've dealt with at wide receiver. Uh, they were down Harrison yeah. Bryan of late, too. So it's just like – I know, I know, man. I know you want them to run, 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 but the other team knows it too. Like they have defenses get paid money to stop these guys. So sometimes they're going to have game plans in place to take that away. So um, they listen. I, I don't. I made a point of this on Twitter the other day. I, I never complain about offensive coordinators. This is a really hard job, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into play calling that the average fan has no clue. They just have no clue about it. So there are certain situations where I might say something every now and again, but I very rarely do. And I think they've, they've struck a really nice balance uh, between the run and pass. All right, Jake. So let's get into the Steelers a little bit. Uh, this, this, this last week, the Steelers game a little bit. Um, 
So they jumped out to a 28 nothing lead. How long did it take you to get your job off the floor? You know, this is an alternate. This is a this is an alternate reality. Remember, like I'm getting into the alternate reality of us winning a playoff game. I, I still don't believe it's real. So yeah, uh, <laughs> listen, I, I I wanted to my recipe before was is what I've talked about all year. They have to get out in front early. They have to play from in front. And they have to create some turnovers. They have to get a little turnover luck. Uh, some created, some lucky, but you have to get some of those, and you have to play from out in front. You can't lose a turnover battle with the way they're structured right now. So um, how how long was my job? The entire first quarter, they were just playing so well. It, it really felt like a repeat with, with more sloppiness from Pittsburgh, but it felt like a repeat of uh, the Tennessee game in a sense yes. there where, where obviously Cleveland's playing pretty well, and I don't even know that it would have taken turnovers for Cleveland to score. Like, I think they were going to find ways to score on Pittsburgh Sunday night no matter what because I think they're playing that well offensively. But when Pittsburgh's kind of just handing you the football with, with um, you know, some some turnovers, like I said, that they created and some that Pittsburgh just, just you know, handed it to them like the first play of the game um, – it, it just was it, it was cool to see. I don't know what other way to say it. It was just really neat to see them jump out and, and, and capitalize. And that was the boost they needed. And and football's weird, though. I, I just had this eerie confidence about this game. And it's such a motivation business, the NFL, um, above all else. That just one little soundbite, one little thing that pokes at you, you know, and, it, and, it, and it's a driving factor. And you saw after the game how they treated the comments from, from Juju Smith Schuster. Like, I think, yeah. I think the comments overall were an innocuous thing. I don't think he meant that negative uh, perception from what came of them. If you look at the whole quote, but that's all it takes, man. And I thought the Browns are going to be highly motivated backs against the wall, doubted type of thing. And that's how they responded. And it helped Pittsburgh helped them by coming out and, 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 and for lack of a better word, kind of crapping the bed early they they didn't show up ready to play and by the time they figured things out it was just too late so i think if it was a neutral game maybe pittsburgh only turns it over twice instead of five times it probably is still a browns win in my opinion because i think they were playing that well but uh you know at the end of the day you got to take care of the football as ben knows he's been doing this for 20 years he knows and they they didn't do it and cleveland capitalized so it was like you said it just it felt surreal to see them in pittsburgh it would have just been great if there were 65,000 steeler fans in there watching it uh, and sucking that up yeah, and it would have oh still been the same level of volume in the stadium <laughs> which would have been great you're very right man you're very right that's the only thing that would have made it better is is maybe yeah. watching about 7 or 8,000 browns fans just going crazy in a scattered pittsburgh stadium like that so but at the end of the day we got to see them win in heinz field we got to see them Send Ben to the bench crying. Just things that we've wanted to see for so long. How many times have we seen Ben Roethlisberger come in and suck the soul out of Cleveland? Uh, <laughs> I, listen, man, I was in. I was a sophomore in high school. I had not been up to a Browns game in a long time. It was it was a, uh, a a Sunday where we finally got tickets. I went up there to watch. They got beat forty two to nothing. I think Ben mm-hmm. threw for three touchdowns. It's like how I was many that times? Game. I just kept thinking about like, how many times have I watched Ben just kind of. <laughs> effortlessly in Cleveland that it was just finally like finally we watch and Baker Mayfield notably now three and two at Heinz Field uh we we uh we just we just have seen it so many times and to see that dude sitting on the bench crying he's a hall of famer dude I Pittsburgh's NFL royalty I got nothing but respect for them but when you do finally beat a team like that it's just really great to revel in it a little bit so let's talk about the other theme of uh that game especially the fan theme of that game you go up 28 to nothing and inevitably, the play calling is going to change, both offensively and defensively. When you're up 28 to nothing, 
your way you're going to call that game is going to change a little bit in a little bit more of a conservative favor, right? It's a natural way of doing things. And it freaks people out. (laughs) It completely flipped everybody out because uh, the Browns weren't playing the, the tightest defense. Uh, They were, they were very much in a don't let people get behind you, uh, you know, give up the yards in front of you and make tackles. I say that hypothetically because they don't always make the tackles, but make tackles uh, uh, type of, uh, uh, you know, type of a a mindset. Uh, So, you know, when you're watching the game and you're getting ready to break things down, um, you know, is that inevitable? Is that uh, to me, I still think that's smart. I think it's the NFL. I think you go up 28 to nothing. Teams are going to come back. It's, it's not college football. It is very rare to see a team blow out another team 49 to seven. Like it, it just doesn't happen all that much. So, uh, you know, did you start to find yourself freaked out a little bit as Pittsburgh was coming back? Cause they never really got that close. Uh, or, uh, or did you kind of understand what was going on, on, on the field and, and think, you know, this is just kind of inevitable and, and, you know, I don't see any big problem with this. Like I said earlier, you, you start to, no matter how long uh, we get into this thing, maybe, like I said, maybe the page will turn, but you always start to calculate how can this go wrong? Like Jack Conklin gets hurt. It's like, oh God, <laughs> Jesus, this right tackle, man. We're up 28, nothing, but our right tackles hurt. No, like, you know, you, you just, you have this, this way about you when you're a Browns fan of just like, how can this go wrong? Because we've seen it this year, right? Think Tennessee, think Dallas. Uh, yep. There was another game I think they were leading significantly, and the, the other team was kind of crept along back into. I can't think of the top of my head, but they've been uh, the the week seventeen. Jesus, just the other day. So oh, yeah. uh, they 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 have had this thing about putting teams away, and he, this is what it boils down to for me. Some teams that are able to just kind of continually beat people when they're up, or you know when they when they form a giant lead. Take the Bills for example, right now, who have been playing great football with big leads. Yes. They have built both sides of the football. It is no secret that the Browns are a year away. Like that is what we've been saying. I've been saying smart people, uh, people I consider much smarter than myself have been saying that they're a year away because they have to build and invest in the defense. They've lost Grant Delpit, who they thought was going to be an integral part of their safety room. They've obviously been down Denzel. They've been down some important factors. Kevin Johnson, the linebacker room has been shuffled around. They're, they're clearly, in my opinion, we're a year away because they have not invested in what they want to become defensively yet. There's a big plan in place. I think that we're going to see manifest itself in the second uh, offseason here for Andrew Barry. Uh, I'm very excited about that. But for me, yes. to your point, to your question, what they do, because I, I have said this all year, they they play typically – nine jags on defense just just i call jags just other just another guy they're just yep. average to below average nfl players and that's nothing against them you know the malcolm smiths the uh anderson day hose the the terrence mitchells those guys are just okay some days they make plays some days they don't some days they get beat uh yep. more often teams will have more personnel that can put uh some some pressure on teams naturally organically with four guys all the time the Browns don't have enough of that talent on defense. So what they do when they get these leads, uh, they they just kind of start counting possessions. Like if we yes. make them use six, seven minutes here, uh, they have to go the length of the field this many times. If they do it, then, then, then so be it. But we think we can get one or two punts, and we think we can get one or two turnovers. We think they're going to throw a ball to Sione Taki Taki, and it's not going to matter. Like, like that's what they do. You start, you genuinely have to do that. They, they say, we're not going to beat ourselves and we're going to play coverage in which it makes them continually make throws down the field. So we're just going to, to 
again, what I said earlier, mitigate as much risk as possible and just make teams work their way to touchdowns to take clock off the book, like, like the clock off. Like yep. that's what, that's what they do because they don't totally feel comfortable in their personnel being able to consistently defend the pass right now to be able to get to the quarterback. We, it's tough to get to the quarterback when the ball hits their hand and they're kind of getting rid of it right away. So it mitigates pass rush. So what they're doing, like the thought process of Joe Woods, and I've talked about this all year because teams are like, People continually say, well, put your foot on the throat and they should be bare. Well, they they just try to, to, to make teams work down the field because they don't trust their personnel all the time. So when you have Robert Jackson playing corner and you're dealing with some of those <laughs> risks and Sheldrick Redline yeah. playing deep, like you just kind of say to yourself, how many possessions will it take? What is the average length of possession? If we are able to score one or two more times, which we believe we'll be able to do, does right. that equal to enough on the scoreboard? So yeah, I know. Listen, I want I want the Browns to win that game forty five to ten. Like I I want that, but that's just kind of <laughs> not who they are. Like it's just not it's just not how they're built right now, and that's not how they're going to be able to win. So the thing that I have continually tried to preach with people this year when this conversation topic has come up because it has, you guys know that, is look mm-hmm. at it this way: this franchise has not learned how to win football games that are that have come down to the wire for so long how many times have we seen them you know the Dwayne Rudd game uh, there's so many the the walk-off kick against Baltimore on on Monday there's so many of those games where the Browns (laughs) just found ways to lose well listen they're not finding ways to lose they're holding on to win football games they're figuring out how to win so in a franchise that has for so long lost found ways to lose they're now finding ways to win and that matters that's what gets guys yeah. to believe and then when they start believing we're going to win which you've started to notice it the swing in the culture the swing in environment the swing in belief if you just track the way these guys talk to the to the media and you track their social media what they say there's belief there and when you go into next year with an improved roster with with more talent on the defensive side of the football that's where you see something special being built so while i understand the frustration listen i felt i felt so empty of energy sunday night just trying to to, to will <laughs> these guys to hold on when mike tomlin punted let me tell you man when t- mike right. tomlin punted i just could not like i felt like 10 pounds were lost like that that's how that's how you know you just get so congested about the whole thing like what can go wrong here? How do we get a stop? What's going to, when are they ever going to get a third or fourth down stop? And they just found a way. So that's the approach they're using just because they're trying to do the best they can with the personnel they have. So uh, they, they certainly know they can lean on their offense when they need to, and they do. And they hope that in the coming years, the defensive talent will be upgraded to, uh, to allow some more of those comfortable wins. Listen, Jake, before we continue, I just want to let it know. I, I want to let it know to all you guys. I was not worried when Blake Hans came in. Okay, <laughs> I, I I said I said, "Whew, Blake Hans is in. <laughs> we, are, we are going to win. <laughs> to win Thank this God. game. What an all time no, but no. Baker, man. I, the guy yeah. named Blake, I just met in the locker room. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you, you know, Jake, we, you know, we, I, I'm really glad that the, of what you just said there at the end, especially it's just so many Browns fans, you know, I get it. You know, they've been waiting so long for this team to be good consistently. They've been waiting so long for just a consistent, like just a winner, just to, just to have some hope, you know, and I, I, I get why some of the concerns this year are, or why they are, or why they just want, want everything. They want their cake and eat it too. But you know, it, 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 it's, you had to look for the, 
something we've been preaching on this podcast is you have to look for the small leaps this year. Sure. Just the fact that this, just the fact that this team made the playoffs is, is a giant leap for this franchise, you know, and, and now, now that they've won a game against Pittsburgh at home in the playoffs, <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked about, you have what? to crawl before you can walk. You have to crawl before you can walk. Jake, but I mean, we all have kids. The, the Browns are like standing up right now, holding on to things and and, and walking. <laughs> like that's the leap they made. No? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's absolutely true. Look, I can I can point to, and I said this before the Week 17 game that I was actually happy that there were not 65,000 fans in the stadium because it would have felt like 65,000 people of nervous energy. Yes. And let me let me tell you this. It was 20. 16, just as an example from personal experience, the Browns, Josh McCown led Browns, jump out early on the Ravens, 20 to nothing. You probably remember this game. It was yep. 20 to nothing. Throwing a touchdown to Corey Coleman, of all people. It was 20 to nothing. They get the PAT blocked and they return it. And it's 20 to two. And I'm going to tell you, I yep. felt the energy of that stadium collectively sit down and say, we're going to lose. They lost by 26 bitch. to 21 or 26, yep. 23. I'm telling you, this fan base, and it's I'm not trying to knock people. We've been scarred. We've seen too much of it. That this fan base is 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 collectively scarred to the point that they think whatever can find a way to go wrong, it will. And I genuinely think, and I, I'm not trying to be negative about the fan base, but I think that not having fans in the stadium this year was actually a, a genuine benefit for Cleveland because I think that fan base nervousness when you get a large group of people thinking the same thing in the, in, in a small confined space, it has a tangible feel about it. I'm telling you. And people talk about momentum being fake. I, I, I kind of get it, but I also think that I've been in enough sporting events in my lifetime to know that that momentum is an unexplained real thing and it can happen sure. and it can split you. Now what you look for are like you guys have said just a minute ago are moments in which they're showing that they can handle it moments in which you start to believe as a fan they're going to find a way to get this done. And then what does that do? You start believing, you lose the nervous energy. And then when maybe people start to get back in the stands, it's like, these guys are winners, man. It doesn't matter. They're going to find a way to get it done. And you know what you call that? Belief in your team? That's called home field advantage. And that's when yes. things actually matter at home. Because I'm telling you, I, I, I've, I've not really talked about this much, uh, but I, I believe it fully, that the Browns fan base is, is in being in person is a real part of the problem and it's not their fault it just is it is what it is like it's just it's a part of the history and baggage that everybody carries and i was kind of delighted that it sucks as much as i wanted everybody to be there and enjoy it but i do think there's a part of it that was beneficial now like i said you get everybody back you start to believe that's when you look for those moments in which your your fan base starts to to bond with a team and we're seeing some of those, you know, you start to see those moments where the fan base starts to fall in love with their quarterback. We saw one of those mm -hmm. Sunday, you know, those yep. moments you can point to to say, Hey man, that's when Baker became our guy. When he went to Pittsburgh and he beat those SOBs in Heinz field and ended Ben Roethlisberger's career. Oh. Like those uh -huh. are things you talk about in 10 years from now. Like those are what I'm like. Those are the moments that bring you to a collective formed, fully formed relationship. And you can see it from Baker Mayfield too. his posts about loving this city. Like, it's it's right. It's happening right in front of our eyes, and I think people are, are are kind of looking past it a little bit. But it's it's truly happening right in front of us right now. Well, hopefully, we've talked about the team growing up, but part of that, hopefully, the fan base, 
not that saying they need to grow up, but just kind of maturing into what a fan base for a winning team looks like. It is. Uh, hopefully, it is. I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to knock people. Like I'm really not trying to make people feel bad, but it no. is, it is a real thing when you, when you can sit in a place and you have people like-minded thinking it rubs off on the team. Oh man, here we go again. It's just another, another game. We're going to like, no, that's the, the, a fan base can pick up a team. A fan base can elevate a team. I truly, truly believe that. And I think hope, I really, really do think they could help the Browns down the road here when they actually get a full stadium again, uh, form what's, what's known as home field advantage because the fans start to believe in it too. Yeah. So uh, an awesome, probably one of the best nights uh, that uh, my favorite part about Sunday was this generation of people that were born either in the nineties or the 2000s, this young group of fans, we used to talk about it a lot. Uh, how you get young people to wear Browns jerseys is beyond me. Uh, people younger than me that don't remember those earlier days of success. Uh, Sunday had to have been the single most fun night. It was one of the most fun nights, and I remember those older days. Uh, for the younger fans, it was awesome. So let's move on real quick. Let's go to this upcoming week. I can't believe I'm about to say this sentence. The Cleveland Browns are playing in the divisional round against the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City on Sunday. And I love this goes back to right at the beginning of our interview, Jake. Uh, and you talked about it like it's there isn't this feeling of like, let's go Browns Chiefs. There's this feeling of like, we get to play the Chiefs. <laughs> like, yeah. like only only real NFL teams get to play the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, but we get to play the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, uh you know, I think there's obvious statements about uh, what this game looks like. A uh, a Browns defense that has struggled, but also should be getting some uh, some playmakers back, namely Denzel Ward, hopefully. Uh, but they're going up against uh, the offense in the NFL, the the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek and, and and Kelsey and Sammy Watkins and that whole group. So without the obvious, like oh shit, Browns defense versus Chiefs offense. Uh, where do you feel good about this game coming up against the Chiefs? Well, I feel like Cleveland can score. <laughs> I, I think the Chiefs have the 16th-ranked DVOA pass defense, which isn't which isn't great, and they have the 31st-ranked run defense DVOA, which is obviously terrible. The Browns can score like they can they can put points on the board, and they have a style of football that can give that can give them a lot of trouble. And I guarantee. <laughs> yeah. As, as Stefanski sits down with the staff, which ultimately sits down with the analytics group, they will look at how do you beat the Chiefs? Well, you beat the Chiefs by holding them under at or under 10 possessions. It's significantly fewer EPA for the Chiefs. It's a significantly lower win percentage for them when you hold them under 10 possessions because you're eliminating – obviously eliminating the football being in Pat Mahomes' hands. So that's a big part of things. You have to run the football, you have to control the clock, and you have to limit how much they're on the field. Just like last week, you're going to need some turnover luck, which they've been turning the football over of late. I don't think people know that Kansas City hasn't won a game by double digits since early November. Like, there's there could be an element for Kansas City that is like they're bored with winning. Like, they just kind of get – it's true. Like, teams that are that talented sometimes can go through the motions – especially yeah. in situations where fans aren't in the stands, they don't feel that environment stuff. Like I'm not making excuses for them, but there's no doubt that they're, they're uber talented. So, you know, I do, while I do feel like the Browns should be able to score points on, on, on the chiefs with, without a ton, a ton, they have some good individual players, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, like those guys, they have some talent. 
but I sure. do feel like they should be able to score. But then it's how do they score enough? And, you know, you're talking about the Pittsburgh game when they're up 28 nothing. Well, I kind of kept having flashbacks to that Houston game where Houston was up a pretty similar number last year on Kansas City before they came back. But, um, you know, you know, Cleveland's going to have to play a clean turnover game on their offensive side of the football. And then the Chiefs have a beat-up offensive line. Now, Pat Mahomes makes up for a lot of things because he's Pat <laughs> Mahomes and he can create and scramble and throw ridiculous angles and, and they have obviously the most talented wide receiver tight end combination in the NFL between Tyreek and, and, uh, and Travis Kelsey. So, you know, you just have to do your best. And, and, and the only formula for stopping Pat, limiting Pat, hurting Pat is being able to drop seven into coverage and getting full on disruptive pressure with four, four defensive linemen, because yeah. some of the things that they do take a little while to develop. So when you have seen Mahomes struggle, think early Super Bowl to the midway through the third quarter into the fourth quarter Super Bowl or this year when they've struggled think the Miami game for example he's turned it over they've gotten pressure so it'd be nice to have Olivier Vernon they don't have him uh, I think I think Porter Gustin had a nice game last week and I think Adrian Claiborne's filled in nicely the, the the Steelers offense is predicated on getting rid of the football ASAP continually quickly getting rid of the football almost like extended handoffs with their quick throwing game it really you know really negates pass rush this week's a little different i think they'll have opportunities to get home i think they're going to have a severe talent advantage in several spots on the defensive line so if you want to look back on this on monday morning when we're talking about an upset it would involve chiefs turning the football over it would involve getting after and and, and sacking pat mahomes upwards of four five six times and the Browns just being this unstoppable force on offense, which they have been, guys, it's not crazy to say, they have been very talented on offense, and they're putting up upwards of 38 or more points. It's got to be like a 38, 31, 30, 38, 34, something like that. So, listen, while I think it's a steep battle to climb, you know, I think it's, 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 sure. it's a talented team in Kansas City. It does not take a genius to know that. I don't think it's an impossible task. I really, I really don't. I feel it's less – impossible feeling wise than going into Pittsburgh the situation they were dealing with with Pittsburgh so if they get Kevin back if they get Joel back if they get Denzel back they get a lot of their pieces back uh, we'll see what Denzel and Kevin Johnson are able to do because I've heard they're dealing with symptoms we'll see if they're back I hope they're back we'll see uh but but yeah there's there's certainly a way in which you could see them winning this game they should not be favored they should be heavily doubted they yep. should be on the wrong side of the the plus minus in terms of what just where we want them lines. exactly that's what Which they want. Too, we right? want them. That's what they want too. So I mean, um, I mean, the Browns are playing with house money, right, Jake? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's really anything. Anything from here on out is just like, oh, okay, great. There's nothing to lose here. Yeah, I think we think that way. I don't think they do. I think they. I think they. <laughs> listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I think we are. We are probably. We always will have more perspective than the team in the trenches, right? They. Yeah. They think they belong. They want to prove they belong. They're tired of being doubted. And they want to win. They have no doubt that they can win. They have a true, full belief that they can win. And, you know, Baker's not afraid of Pat Mahomes. He's going to tell him the same things he told him in Oklahoma. Like, I beat this dude, man. I, I, I know I can beat this guy. And, and you know, when they – and he'll point to it. When they came to Cleveland in 2018, you know, scored three touchdowns and was the best player on the field. That's number 27 who's in our locker room now. So, like, yeah, there's some yeah. of those things, man, where, like, you've got to – People doubt us. People don't believe in us. There, there's a lot of those elements there, and I truly expect it to be a pretty good football game. And, uh, you know, Kansas City might come out on top. We'll see. They're at home. They're going to have some fans in the stands. But I expect Cleveland to give them hell and, and make us proud, and I think they will. I think that – I think, again, getting home on defense is hugely important. That's very hard to do against Patrick Mahomes because of how good he is at getting away from that pressure. Uh, 
but I do think Cleveland fans should prepare a little bit for uh, what might look a little frustrating on the defensive end. But again, uh, like you said, Jake, and I think you made the perfect point, you limit Kansas City to 10 possessions. Well, the way you do that is you you also don't let you don't let that guy Tyreek Hill get down the field and just be running free 50 yards beyond everybody. Like you see in so many of their games where they just have that one play 65 yard touchdown. Uh, and it's such a killer. So to stop that, especially on this Cleveland defense, there's going to be a little bit of that. Keep them in front of you mentality again, like they had against Pittsburgh, even though you had a 28 point lead, you kind of have to do that against, against Kansas city, right? Like you can't let these guys have those, 65 70 yard touchdowns or they're just gonna crush you yeah you can't and they're, they're not limited to just Tyreek in terms of speed they have McCole Hardman who can run mm-hmm. we all know Sammy can run a little bit uh they they have guys uh that, you know Demarcus Robinson they have guys who can run man so you you have to do your best on defense to get your best speed on the field uh and that's that's going to be important <laughs> for them because you know Andy Reid coming off of a bye week the stats for him coming off a bye week are very real you want to talk about somebody you hope Kevin Stefanski can keep becoming in terms of scheming guys open and putting guys in the best situation to succeed Andy's that guy so they're not just going to stick Tyreek outside they're going to put him in the slot they're going to put him in motion they're going to do a varying uh, amount of things that, that get the football into that guy's hands quickly. So the Browns have to be prepared for any number of things and any number of alignments and any number of, uh, of different looking things than they're probably accustomed to. So uh, it is the penultimate challenge trying to defend the Kansas city chiefs right now. But the, the, again, the way you do it is, yeah, you probably don't walk up and play bump and run, press bail stuff, you give him a little space, but you really make Pat Mahomes have to sit in and throw and you pressure him. If you want to beat him, you have to pressure four, five, six sacks and you have to get some turnovers from him. Yeah. All right. So uh, the last thing I'll ask about this game uh, as again, I'm just going to say this, I think all week as the Browns get ready to play the chiefs in the divisional round of the playoff, uh, uh, so what's the one step like if let's say let's say we have the greatest day maybe in Brown's history on Sunday it's not in Brown's history they've won championships but certainly of the millennium uh, and the Browns beat the Chiefs what's that one stat that's going to be on the on the stat sheet that's the biggest reason for the Browns beating the Chiefs or beating the Chiefs well I think they run for 175 yards or more. I think that they are able to control the clock. That means that if they're doing that they're playing from out in front and I think they end up between between Nick and Kareem find a way to run for a high volume of yardage. And then like I said I don't want to beat a, a dead horse there but I think if they are able to generate four or more sacks we would look at that as a wild success and probably from that pressure from those sacks you get a fumble, you get an interception and you look at them winning the turnover battle. So if you want to look at it, look at rushing yards on Monday and look at sacks, because I think that will generate you the the, the best idea of, of how Cleveland was able to win a football game there. And you go from, it would be really crazy. You would go from this win against the Steelers uh, where it was amazing. It was the rival. It was like, it felt like the rivalry was back for the first time in forever. It was awesome. And you got the win. The Browns wind up on the top end of the Chiefs, and again, steep hill, but the Browns take down the Chiefs, and all of a sudden, it's going to be a very, very, very weird feeling in this town next week because all of a sudden, you take down the Kansas City Chiefs, and you think you can win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And that would be nuts. Yeah, you take down the Chiefs, you could start having discussions about what the 
sorry, man. I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast, but like, what the fuck's going on? Like, please cuss yeah, on our you, podcast. You, yeah. you, you what the fuck is going on? I was thinking that what interview, the, the, the interview scene from uh, from the internship, right? Like, what? What? <laughs> like that, that, that you, would, you would be in surreal territory there. Like, I know we're in surreal territory now. You would be in like, what? the fuck's going on here like what's, what's I, I, I don't know what I, I don't know what the fuck took you so long Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> i never know so polite. you never know you might be dealing with some 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 uh some warm end or, i don't know you never know welcome to the garage beers podcast for children <laughs> yeah i should have yeah. known garage beers would be comfortable but uh, you never you never make too many loops <laughs> Yeah. All right, Jake. Well, listen, man, we appreciate all the time you gave us uh, here on this. Uh, well, it's Tuesday night now, uh, but coming up this weekend, Brown Steelers, Sunday, 3.30. Uh, and uh, we're, we're all going to be at a ball of knots, but I, we'll, we'll all be looking forward to your Twitter page. Again, if you don't know it, at Jake underscore Burns 18. Uh, and you can catch all of his articles and stuff at uh, the Orange and Brown Report on Twitter at the OBR. Uh, Jake, thank you so much for joining us. And uh Oh, hopefully we're doing some film study of either the Bills or the Ravens next week. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a blast. I'd be uh, I'd be over the moon with that stuff, man. Now, hopefully, uh, hopefully next time we touch base, man, we're we're talking about another crazy win some point in the off season or something like that. But I'd love to come back. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thank you so much, Jake Burns. We appreciate your time. Have a great night. All right, and special thanks again to Jake Burns for joining us here on the Garage Beers podcast, getting us all excited, man. Jake. That's an interesting dude, fellas. He yeah. he just he goes in depth, uh, and the guy really understands the game. Uh, and it's it's fun to talk to somebody like that who's also a fan. Uh, right. So you get the fan elements and the technical elements, man. Uh, uh, serious thanks goes out to Jake Burns. Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, he puts out some of the best stuff about the Browns that you are going to find. Uh, and hopefully, we are talking to we are watching Jake Burns tweets and videos for the next couple weeks. Cause that would mean really good things for the Browns. Uh, we're not going to take a lot of time here. Uh, the Browns, the chiefs that's coming up on Sunday, but coming up, if you're listening to this, the day it gets released tonight, tonight, the Columbus blue jackets are in action and we are so excited to have the NHL back uh, Columbus taking the ice and who better to preview the blue jackets with colleague of our former guest and friend, Jody Shelley, Jean-Luc Grandpierre joins us now uh, to talk about the Blue Jackets, to break things down and to get us ready for some hockey. All right. And now we are excited to bring in as, as one of the great Saturday Night Live skits, in my opinion, one of the great of all time, even though it's more recent. Uh, as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. It's hockey time here. Uh, the NHL getting ready to get going and to talk about that with us. Uh, we've got a really special guest, former defenseman who spent parts of six seasons in the NHL, including as a member of the original Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, and during his pro hockey career uh, that spanned more than 20 years, he's currently the Fox Sports Ohio studio analyst for the Blue Jackets. We are really, really excited to be joined by Jean-Luc Rampierre. Jean-Luc, welcome on to the podcast. Thank you, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I'm looking forward to this. should be fun. Well, hopefully, hopefully some of your, some of your, uh, um, especially Jody Shelley, who you go way back with Jody Shelley. Uh, hopefully they told you good things. If you said anything to the, uh, to you about it, but I haven't uh, heard a bad thing yet. So it's, it, we're good yes. so far. All right. So far <laughs> now you got to make your own judgments, but so far, so, uh, Jean-Luc, listen, it's hard to believe, right? Uh, it feels like we just got done with the, with the bubble. Uh, it feels like we, we 
I, it was very funny. It was actually Nick Foligno that told us uh, he was getting used to being like a, a school dad, like a yeah. soccer dad, like dropping his, he's not usually used to being there this time of the year. Uh, but yeah, it kind of flew and and it's, it's, it was, it was kind of hard to keep track of everything that happened this off season, right? Like I, I, I feel like I'm not a hundred percent ready for the season to start. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ready for it. It's, it's kind of funny how everything developed so slowly, but yet so fast since the, yeah. the end of the last season. And, you know, you're talking about guys, you know, I ran into a couple of the players, uh, you know, outside the arena and I was like, Hey, I was your summer. And then all of a sudden you're like, dude, you were in a bubble in the middle of the summer. So it doesn't make sense, but it's like every little terms that you always use, you know, when you talk about a hockey schedule is out the window now. So yeah, we're just looking forward to getting started. It's going to be a mad dash, but uh, yeah, there's nothing but excitement right now. Yeah. It's incredible. 50, what, 56, 57 games, something like that, that they're going to play. And like you said, that's a mad dash. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cutting 25 games off the season. Yeah, it will. It's uh, 25, but I think it's going to be, you know, for the true hockey fans, it's going to be on your TV every single night and every second night if you're following one team. So it's going to look like yeah. a baseball schedule, but, you know, we all know hey, nothing against baseball. It's going to be uh, much more intense than watching baseball. <laughs> That's all. Oh, God. That was the best part about the bubble, though. That was the, the worst part about the bubble ending was – when when I woke up and I we're all working from home, right? When I woke up and it, you would just turn your TV on at noon and it was just hockey straight through. Right, right. I could yeah. live like that. Can we just do that? Can you guys? Do you think the average hockey player could play about two hundred and fifty six games a year? Because I'm <laughs> down with it. Well, if you're looking at a career of about three season, then that would work. But I don't think uh, it's gonna last too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, no, that was awesome. It was like it was like March Madness. I mean, I I almost got fired because I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> Noon, noon to eight, noon to noon to midnight. I'm watching hockey. That's right. Just uh, running the internet bill on your employers or at home, I guess, if you're working from home. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's but, like uh, I've seen so many setups from some of my buddies that work in, you know, corporate America, and they show me their setup, and it's literally like game one here, and then they're watching, you know, a Zoom meeting on there, and then they get their computer with their spreadsheets, and they're just watching the game the whole time. It's awesome. <laughs> So as we get ready for the Blue Jackets to get going, uh, we're going to get into them, but we want to talk a little bit about you, obviously, having you on, your, your playing days. You've got some great stories uh, from back then, but one of the coolest things, obviously, you now a studio analyst uh, for the Blue Jackets, but, you know, you're part of that. Uh, you're part of that original Blue Jackets team. You came, you are one of the original Blue Jackets. That's That's pretty cool. And I think your story is pretty funny about it. Maybe not this story itself, but just thinking back, to a time that was, uh, you got drafted by the Sabres, uh, after a really good junior hockey career. Um, uh, but then you got traded to the expansion blue jackets right? and you were out of, out of the country, right? Correct. I was, uh, my girlfriend at the time I was in the Dominican Republic at some, uh, you know, resort and, uh, you know, this is like pre, you know, being glued to your cell phone time. This is like, what well, that would be 19, so 2000. And, you yeah. know, I have a cell phone, but, you know, I'm out of the country. I'm not turning that thing on because, you know, there's really nobody I'm going to call or, you know, you, you're not texting that much back then. So no, no social media, really. You know, MySpace didn't have an app. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 ro the roaming charges were outrageous. You had to yeah. watch your minutes. Exactly. Plus, if you needed to put a C in your phone, you had to hit the number three like four times. And then, exactly. Yeah. So that was like three flip phones. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I had the old <laughs> Sprint PCS brick, you know, yeah. that I carried on and felt like I was really cool. But uh, so yeah, so on this resort, and uh, we're sitting at the bar having a couple of drinks before dinner, and you know they have ESPN, you know, like on the resort night at the bottom line, you know, obviously they're talking about baseball and all the big sports. And then, you know, they're talking about the NHL. They, you know, it's going through the bottom. And I was, I see this big long name come across the bottom. I was like, and I just kind of start getting closer to the bar and realize that, Oh damn, it's my name. And I just got <laughs> traded and I had no idea. Right. So I'm like, okay, maybe I had one too many drinks. Let me just sober up and look again. And there it is, you know, four minutes later, my name's still there. So long story short, I just like, don't eat dinner, walk away, go to my room. And, uh, Remember the cell, not the cell phone, the phones in the room with that red flashing light. That's my favorite part of this story. Oh, yeah. And this thing (laughs) is just flashing. And I'm calling the front desk so I get my message and everything's in Spanish. Can't get any, you know, I speak French, but not Spanish. And all of a sudden, I get, and it's my agent, you know, Donnie Mian is calling. And it's like, Jean Luc, you need to call me back. I know you're on vacation, but uh, I got to tell you something. Little did you know, I just saw ESPN and saw that I was going to Columbus, which I had no clue where that was at the time but that's how i found out basically uh, that i was traded is uh you know being out of country saw it on tv and then get the old uh, bat phone flashing in my room <laughs> if, if you ever need like a uh it, it feels like that was just it does not feel like it's been 20 years uh plus but it's amazing how life has changed in 20 years right now you got take this phone with you anywhere it doesn't matter whether you're in country out of country it doesn't matter it'll work you get text messages most players now get a text. Oh, you're getting traded or whatever. Right. And you got to go back to the hotel. The The red light is going off. That's uh, right. Old school. You know, oh. it's, it's unbelievable how much technology has made our lives so, so much easier and how we're just connected to the world all the time. And, you know, this trend to disconnect in today's world just doesn't happen. You know, now, <laughs> you know, you go to Mexico and, you know, your phone's on 24-7. You know, it doesn't matter because you're re- you can reach anyone anywhere in the world. It's a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing as well. For sure. Now, did you call back from the hotel phone or did you turn on the Zach Morris phone and, <laughs> and, 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 and call him? You know... Being as cheap as I am, I probably called him back collect. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, guys, at this point, I've played in the NHL a little bit, but not enough to, you know, start rolling in and calling from my cell phone. So I'm pretty sure I build him. I mean, you know, your agents make a lot of money. And uh, Don Mian was representing a lot of big guys at the time. So he could afford it more than I could. So I'm sure I collected him call. But, you know, I called him back collect, I'm sure. I love you do that little thing where you try to get your message in when it asks you for your name on the collect call. I do. That's right. Uh, I do. It's Jean-Luc. Got your message. What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty I do much. not accept the charges. Oh, what a dick! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Good so, old days. so a lot of people, again, especially now, we're so used to seeing the way the expansion uh, situation went with Vegas, and we're about to see it again with Seattle. Uh, but uh, it was very different uh, for 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 the Blue Jackets when they were an expansion team. They did not quite. You guys didn't quite. Uh, have the opportunities laid out maybe to a Vegas team to, you know, just make the finals in your first year or whatever. Uh, so what was your mindset going to 
go into an expansion franchise from Buffalo and, and contrast that a little bit to what they're doing with, with teams now. Uh, it's so it was a big, big difference. So the ownership in Buffalo were, uh, was great at the time. Uh, well, little did I know, you know, it would turn pretty bad after I left there with the Regas family. But uh, it yeah. was, you know, it, it, ho- hockey is big in Buffalo. You know, they have the Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. So hockey is a religion. And then I remember the first time when they told me, you know, you're going to Columbus. And I didn't know anything about Columbus at the time. I knew about Cleveland. I knew about Cincinnati, but never heard of Columbus. <laughs> and uh, I remember, uh, you know, there's somebody told me you're going to Buckeye country. And I'm like, what the heck is Buckeye? Like, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? Because I've never even followed the NFL be- before I got to Buffalo. So let alone college football, you know, I'm from Montreal, Canada. Football was not big in the early 2000s, late 90s. So I have no clue what you're talking about, right? Until I got to, you know, Columbus. But uh, I still remember driving down. And again, at this point, I got my Sprint PCS phone and I'm calling my agent and I'm asking him, (laughs) I'm on my way down because he said, hey, just take 71 past Cleveland and you'll get into Columbus. And I remember passing Cleveland. (laughs) And then it was just cornfield and cornfield. And I I still remember, I I told this story, my son's 16 now, and he cannot, he cannot comprehend that I did not have a navigation on my phone. And he's like, how how were you not sure? I was like, dude, I had a map and I was driving down in my Jeep, Grand Cherokee with no navigation. And I was just trying to figure out, I hope I run to this town because I'm just seeing cornfields. And, uh, (laughs) I remember calling in Toronto and I said, I talked to the secretary. I was like, Hey, I'm on my way down. Are you sure it's 71? And she's like, yes, keep (laughs) going. This is how (laughs) clueless I was at the time. Uh, And then obviously when I got to Columbus, I absolutely fell in love with the city and everything, but it's, it's such a different time. But as far as the team itself, the way expansion is, you know, now compare, you know, back then, as you asked, it was, uh, it was a different atmosphere because I think, well, first of all, the expansion draft, you know, the, the fee for the teams to get in the league was 150 million versus 500, you know? So now if you're spending half billion dollars, you expect to have a competitive product right away. Right. So they definitely have a higher end players, but for me, I saw it as a great opportunity uh, to have uh, not only a fresh start, but really like be able to put, uh, myself in the NHL like as a permanent fixture and that's how I saw it and for a lot of guys it was a way to really stick into the league as in now you look at the expansion draft and you're looking at some a lot of very high-end players you know we're talking like second liners third liners versus right. back then you're looking at seven you know yeah, six, seven, eight defensemen, third goalies, you know, fort liners more than what you see now. So it, I guess in the locker room, he created this environment of a bunch of guys that really want to prove that they could, you know, play in this league. And yeah. everybody got along. There was no big ego. Uh, I would say out of all my years playing professional, especially in North America, that's probably one of the best atmosphere i've been around in the locker room as far as guys bonding because although we had veterans like lyle line on the team that you know obviously won stanley cups and were you know great leaders everybody felt like we're on the (laughs) same level and we were just pushing each other every day and having so much fun because 
again, this is free social media days. So you can get away with <laughs> right. way more back then than anything. Today. So, right. uh, you know, to make it real quick, I think, you know, uh, playing in NHL is an honor. Uh, we all understood that. And we saw an opportunity to be able to do something with our career. Uh, as in today, if you look at it, it's like, yes, you're grateful. But, you know, you can't compare today's NHL to, you know, no, today's expansion teams to what we had 20 years ago. You got to Columbus through those cornfields and you're like, Phew, okay, a city. <laughs> Thank God. There is a town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a big shock. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what Columbus has become now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, We don't get too serious. Oh, sorry. We don't get too serious on the podcast, but I'm going to ask you one serious question because you're the second Buffalo Sabre, former Buffalo Sabre, we've had on this podcast. The first Buffalo Sabre we had on this podcast, uh, Hockey Hall of Famer Grant Fuhrer, who spent like a hot second with the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So on a serious note, again, you come from a – your parents are from Haitian descent – uh, so obviously coming up as a black hockey player, again, up in Canada, everybody plays hockey. Uh, and, and we kind of talked about this with Grant a little bit and everybody knows the stories of him being denied, uh, into a country club in Buffalo. Um, you know, what kind of, what kind of hardships did you run into being a, a, a person of color, uh, coming up playing hockey in, in a, in a league, especially the NHL where, uh, it's still, it's growing thankfully, but it's not a hundred percent prominent. Right. I would say uh, it's a great question. As far as the NHL, uh, you know, the American Hockey League, you know, I played two and a half years in the AHL, uh, never had any issues whatsoever. Uh, You know, where you see it is uh, like junior hockey and, you know, in in little leagues, you know, like when you're talking about like, you know, when you're a peewee or something like that, it was, uh, it was interesting how, uh, so within my teams, there was no real issues within the league, right? So the Montreal League is a pretty, you know, Montreal is a big city. So within the league, there was no big issue because you had a lot of interracial players. I mean, you're talking like, you know, my, the neighborhood I grew up with was mostly like a lot of Greeks. So that we had a lot of Greeks, <laughs> Italian, uh, you know, not necessarily people of colors, but people from all kind of backgrounds, right? Sure. So our locker room, you would hear, you know, the guy speaking, uh, you know, uh, Greek on one corner, the other corner was Italians. And then, you know, uh, you know, black guys, you know, you're just talking French with the other white guys. So everybody got along, uh, you know, there was some English, some French. It, it was, it was a big mix and all the other le- teams around the league, it was the same situation. Uh, the time that, you know, there would be any racial issues that ever came up with me was literally when we went to tournaments. And, you know, you're taking, you know, your team and then you're going from Montreal, which is a big metropolitan area. And you're doing, you know, you're going into those little villages, you know, in northern Quebec or western Quebec, where, you know, it's basically 99.9% Caucasian. And it's like, we don't like Italians and Chinese and anything like that. And we are white. And this is, so that's the only time that I'm playing against these teams that I would have hurt. I would have hurt anything coming really. And in junior hockey, it was kind of like the same thing. Depending where you went, uh, you would hear some stuff. But as far as, uh, you know, hardship, I wouldn't say that I really went through anything. I, You know, I did hear a lot of hurtful stuff, especially when you're a kid. It affects yeah. you more than anything else. But it was nothing, you know, you're playing hockey. The other team is the enemy in a way. I've never heard anything from my own teammates or a coach 
or you know a parent from our teams or anything like that and right. if if it happened my parents never told me about it <laughs> so it, it's like so i couldn't tell you if my dad went through it you know uh you know my dad and i we have a great relationship i talk to him pretty much every day and it's kind of like there's a lot of things that i know he didn't tell me growing up you know let's say it was me not making a team and you know because of certain reason and i'm not talking about color whether it was like mm -hmm. oh you know it was too expensive or yet to be a big sponsor and I, I wasn't going to buy you away into a team just because you know i could pay it so sure. a lot of things he never told me but if he heard something he never told me about it but i've definitely heard some things as well all right john luke now i'm gonna make the ultimate segue here it's gonna <laughs> be like terrific just just you wait all <laughs> right be great uh, so between Buffalo and Columbus, right? Your, you yeah. know, your first year, just going back to getting drafted. Uh, you know, and then we'll get back to hockey here in a second. Uh, where, where was your rookie party and did the boys take it easy on you? <laughs> so honestly, took it easy. They took it really easy on me. Uh, wow. I would say, and I got oh, okay. lucky. I got lucky, but not really lucky. So this is what happened. My real rookie, official rookie dinner happened in Columbus. So okay. when I was in Buffalo, the guys were, you know, like I remember like Dixon Ward and Matthew Barnaby, they were trying to haze me a little bit, had me do a few <laughs> silly things. Uh, but I never had the rookie dinner where, you know, you're buying dinner for the whole team and, you know, oh, you're right. stuck with the tab right. because I was there toward, uh, I want to say it was like from February to the end of the year, they already had the rookie party. So they were going to get me the next year. So oh, okay, where I struck luck is the year after I get traded to, to Columbus and again, expansion team, a lot of guys that are not established NHL players. And we got like 10 of us, right? That yeah. are like, that oh, there you go. The rookie parties. And I try to get away from it saying I got mine in Buffalo because all the veterans were like, oh, you were in Buffalo. You already did yours. And Jeff, Sander, Jeff Sanderson, <laughs> Sandy sold me out. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I played with Lukey. You didn't have his rookie party. So I know. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but I almost escaped it. But it really wasn't bad. We were in, uh, instead of doing it in LA, we did it in Anaheim. And it really oh, wasn't okay. bad. Like, there was, like I said, there was like 10 of us. We split the bill, and I think we had a game literally the day after or the day after, you know, two days later. So the okay. guys took it really easy, and all 10 of us rookies were just eating, like, shrimp cocktails and no, no meal. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'll have the appetizer and call it a night. Drinking water. Listen, as somebody who has never been a professional athlete, those rookie dinners, every time somebody posts it, it's like $54,000. I'm like, I got student loans. Oh yeah, it's happening. <laughs> it, it's it's a beautiful thing, honestly. As far as team bonding, I've been <laughs> part of a few of those, and I've never seen one where it got out of hand. Uh, I think guys are having a lot of fun; they're being crazy. But at the end of the day, it's like you know, it's not hazing. You know, it's not they're not, right. they're not making you do things that. Yeah, they make you do things you don't want to do for sure, but it's nothing that you're like, oh, I've been affected by this, or you know, yeah, in your wallet maybe yeah. a little bit, but it, yeah. it's, right. it's <laughs> a lot of fun. And when you have a good group of veterans, they make sure things stay, you know, somewhat under control. I love it. So 
you wrap up your career, you, you, you wound up um, going overseas, playing for a long time overseas, wrap up your career, you come back, you're in Columbus, uh, you and your wife now, your wife's from Cleveland, right? My wife's from the Cleveland area, correct. We're Cleveland. Yeah. This is a Cleveland. This is we we do like Columbus. We talk a lot of Buckeyes and a lot of Blue Jackets, but we're a Cleveland podcast here. So yeah, that's uh, awesome. So I work you for found the monsters, a good one. You found a good I lady. work for the monsters. There you go. So yeah, I'm up at, I'm up yeah. in the Cleveland area a few times a year for sure, visiting uh, you know her family and stuff. So yeah, I, I do love Cleveland. Just a little too much snow for me. Well, next summer, just bring the golf clubs and we'll find you. Uh, Sweet. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit. You come back, uh, you're working, uh, you get into a couple other things, but then, uh, a position comes open with Fox sports, Ohio, the studio analyst. Uh, and, and I thought this was kind of cool because, uh, your fellow broadcast partner there, uh, Jody Shelley, uh, the color guy for the team. Uh, you guys spent some time on those early blue jackets teams. You actually assisted Jody Shelley's first career goal. That's right. I made Jody. (laughs) You made it. Jody Shelley would be nowhere without you. That's right. It's funny. Jody and I go way back. We actually played junior hockey, not together, but against each other. So we still talk about these days. Uh, So, yeah, Jody's a great guy. Obviously, uh, early on when I was with the Blue Jackets, he came along and, uh, you know, had a great career. Uh, So it's kind of funny to see us, you know, 20-some years later being teammate again on the broadcast. Great guy. And, you know, we have a lot of fun together. Listen, you, okay. Now, I mean, you said you played against each other. I have to ask. Yes. You've never, you were never shy about dropping the gloves either. Did you guys ever go at it? Never went at it. Him and I, no, never. Jody was, uh, you know, he was a scrapper in junior, but he could score some goals as well. And I was, uh, you know, I would scrap here and there when uh, necessary but uh, yeah. Jody would, you know, I would consider him in a more of a uh, elite class of fighters compared to where, what I was. Okay. Uh, I never <laughs> shied of fighting the heavyweights, but I definitely wasn't looking for it. I wasn't the guy that was going to go on the face off and say, hey, Jody, it's time to go. Uh, and thankfully, Jody never <laughs> came to me and said, hey, yeah. Joel, it's time to go. So that's a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, no stories there. <laughs> Do you have any memorable fights? Anything that stick out? Uh, you know, honestly, the one that sticks out the most for me is, uh, I would say, oh boy, probably. <laughs> so when I was with Columbus, I fought uh, Scott Parker uh, yeah. and I fought him at home in Columbus <laughs> and the first time and the fight I actually looked up for it on YouTube like last summer and I saw it and it looks like nothing. And I was like, all right, I got away. I'm alive. I'm happy. But <laughs> Sergio, by, who used to play with the Columbus Blue Jackets, was at this time traded to Colorado. And after the game, he came and saw me and he's like, dude, he's like, Joe Sackick is like, he's like, who's this Grand Pierre guy? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, he fought Parker. He's like, dude, Parker's concussed. And I was oh, no. like, <laughs> And oh, I'm no. like, the, the fight didn't look that bad. And so I found out he ended up with a concussion from this, which, you know, it's not something you want to hear, but I'm like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm screwed. Because I know he's out of my weight class. I mean, there's, you know, it was just, it happened. He was in front of the bench. He crushed me. I crushed like him. You're home. You fight. So later in the year, we go to Colorado. And he's after Rusty Klesla. 
and he's mad. You know, he's just mad. He's after class lot. So I'm like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to fight him. And he fought Jody earlier in the game. Uh, Parker did, and I was like, oh boy. So there we are. So I have to fight Parker again. And we're going, we're going, and I, I just get lucky and tag him right on the chin, and he buckles. Uh, right. <laughs> so. Fight is over, and I walk away, and I'm like, oh, crap, I just fought Parker. And I'm like, this is not good. So then he gets straight to San Jose, and I still remember, I'm on the red line. I'm just stretching, and Parker is skating around. He comes around, and he's like, hey, Lukey, what's up? You, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. What's up, man? And I'm just trying to be as friendly as I could. <laughs> and we never fought again. So oh, I became like, we, we became like fake buddies. So I never had to fight okay. again. So this is probably the one, of the guys I feared the most that I fought twice. And thankfully I got lucky both times, but trust me, it was not something that I was looking after. So when he was on the ice, I'd let him do his thing, stay away from him. And yeah, we're all good after that. But I was like, dang, you know, get lucky once and twice. It's good. Don't try the third time. Cause these teams are too valuable. <laughs> just kind of always looking over your shoulder. <laughs> just kind of like, oh, oh, oh it's kind of right, right. Not looking over my shoulder, but let's just say it was not something that I was looking forward to is to fight him again. Right. So the fact that it never happened right. was very thankful. <laughs> that mental okay. part that goes, that is to me the most entertaining thing. Maybe that we talk about it when we talk with hockey players is I think a lot of times you see a fight happen and you just think a fight happened. And there's so much of that, right. like, Oh God, now I got to go fight this guy and I don't even want to fight this guy. Right. But I got to go over there and like, I got to, you got to like, amp. you, you didn't want to fight him, but you got to somehow amp yourself up to go fight him. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's the big difference between, uh, again, like my role, which was, I was a physical guy. Uh, and you know, I've never been a fighter. Uh, my first year in the American league, I think I had like 19 majors and the only reason I fought is because I hate losing. And we're like, my first year in Rochester was horrible. And being a physical guy, all the older guys are like, dude, you're out of place. You know, you got to prove yourself. You can't come and hit me like that. So I remember, I, I think my rookie year, I fought Dennis Von V like six times. And, <laughs> oh. and, I, and I remember, so big George Rock, who's my cousin, is like, He's like, dude, he's like, I tell Bonvi to leave you alone, but he keeps wanting to fight you. And then finally, <laughs> but this is how hockey is. My second year, I'm not lying to you. Dennis Bonvi looked at me and said, dude, you've earned my respect. We're good. And I never fought him ever again. But it was like this code that is kind of weird because I wasn't looking to fight. I was just being physical. But it was just like, hey, young kid, you got to prove yourself before you come hit any one of my team. And he did his role. He did his job. And I guess I did mine, but I was never somebody that uh, had to go through that anxiety of like, oh, tomorrow we're playing Chicago. I got to fight Proby or I have to fight this guy because as physical as I was, I was not one to just go on a face off and randomly fight guys. Uh, so when you hear about the anxiety that came from like the heavyweights, I can definitely see it because I yeah. felt it a few times just because of something that would have happened a game before, but it was not my, my, my main role was not to fight. So I never really felt that anxiety, but I can't imagine having to go through it, honestly. Yeah. It's uh, uh, you didn't, you weren't ever known. You, you would drop the gloves. You weren't known as a fighter, but are you the fastest defenseman ever? I was probably the fastest fighter. 
Texas Spider. <laughs> no, I don't know if I was the fastest defense, man. But I remember in 2000, no, wait, it was in 1998, my second year in the American League, I went into the, uh, I went to the uh, AHL All-Star game. Yes. And uh, Billy Barber was the coach at the time. He was coaching in Philadelphia. And before he's like, hey, I want you to take the slap shot and you're going to do the, the speed. And I'm like, the speed? I'm like, you're out of your mind. He's like, dude, it's like we play against you like eight times a year. You're flying around. I never saw myself being that fast. And anyway, so I went around and, you know, it was me. And I think Marty St. Louis was on our team yeah. that year. And somehow I won the whole thing and beat the NHL time of Peter Bondra that year. Yes. And everybody was like, oh, dude, this guy's fast. And I was like, I guess I just went really hard, but never, I always knew I was fast, but I never realized it was that fast, I guess. So yeah, I was probably on the fastest defenseman in a straight line though. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. So let's, let's get into some hockey now. And, and, and just to do a real quick recap uh, again, 56 game season coming up, 16 teams going to make the playoffs. Uh, uh, the first thing, again, we, they did the whole divisional realignment. Uh, we'll get to Columbus in the central, but I do want to ask you as a native Canadian, how do you feel about that North division? I love it. I do love you? it. Honestly, uh, I think it's going to be one of the greatest things for uh, Canada is going to have this basically country, like within the country, this rivalry. Because, you know, I grew up as a Montreal Canadian, uh, you know, like resident, but I love the Nordiques. And I remember growing up and Montreal, Quebec was the big rivalry. And then Toronto was another one. And Calgary was another one because of the Stanley Cups. And then obviously Edmonton with Gretzky. It, it's kind of unbelievable the kind of energy that, you know, is brought up when two Canadian teams play each other. Yes. And now I think the fans are going to have – it's going to feel like playoffs the whole season. It's oh the God. best scenario. If anything good came out of COVID for Canada, is that co- you know, it's literally that North division. So I agree. Uh, with I you. was going to say, I, I was going to say the fact that Calgary and Edmonton get to play more than just like a couple times a year is for, right. is going to be incredible for hockey fans. Well, well, thank God the game has changed because you put those 56 <laughs> yeah. games like that 15 years ago, there's no way it would have gone by because they would run out of medics to help these. <laughs> you would have to literally yeah. scrape guys off the boards after each period by the end oh. of the season. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome. I love it too. It, it, it's, it's, you know, again, if you're, if you haven't heard exactly, uh, basically these teams are all going to just play within their division through the year. So uh, the first time there's going to be an interdivisional matchup is going to be the semifinals of the playoffs, uh, which I, it's going to be so much fun, but it's also how crazy is that going to be? If you're a player, you're going up, you let's say you make it, you're on a team, Columbus, they make it to the semifinals, and now you're going to go up against a team you haven't seen all year. All year, correct. You haven't seen them, played them. Uh, thankfully, with technology, you have tapes. You can look at everything and see, you know, players' tendencies uh, because obviously the game has changed. But that's going to be a crazy, crazy feeling to get on the ice. It's going to be like way back in the days where, you know, the American League was like East and West and then teams would not play each other all year. And then all of a sudden in the finals, you're playing a team, you know, watching VHS tapes, try to see who's got, you know, who's this guy, what does he like to do? Obviously now with technology, things have changed, but it's going to be, I I think it's going to be really, really exciting. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about the Blue Jackets, Uh, your your team now. 
the Central Division, let's just kind of talk about that division because, hey, congratulations, you get the new Central Division. The two teams that were in the Stanley Cup Finals, they're now in your division. The Lightning, <laughs> the Stars, along with the Hurricanes, the Blackhawks, the Predators, the Panthers, and the Red Wings. Uh, what are your preliminary thoughts of that division? I like it. Um, you know, you look at the Central, I like so as a Columbus fan, I like the old rivalries that are kind of coming back from, you know, it's kind of funny, right? 20 years later, here we are. You're going to be playing against Detroit all the time and Nashville all the time, uh, yes. Chicago all the time. So it's kind of bittersweet because you look at the East, uh, you know, no disrespect to the Central, but, you know, playing Pittsburgh and Washington, although they are getting older, uh, you know, the Rangers are our upcoming team. You know, the Boston Bruins are always good. I, I'm happy to be out of that division for one year anyway. So <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll take the Central all day. Uh, I love, you know, Nashville's a good, fast team. Uh, I think uh, some of the old rivalry is going to revive from that. I don't know what's going to happen with Detroit. Chicago is rebuilding. Uh, and then obviously the Tampa Columbus teams, you know, Columbus Tampa is going to be fun just because of the upset. And then you face them again last season. And then I like the Florida, you know, approach with, you know, you know, uh, Sergey Bobrovsky, Billy Zito, Nudavara, all the old jackets are there. Anthony Declare now is there as well. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be nice to see some old familiar faces and see how that happens. And then as far as Dallas, Dallas is a good team as well. Obviously, you get the two finalists from last year's Stanley Cup, as you (laughs) mentioned. That would be Columbus luck, as always. But uh, (laughs) I'm really excited to see some different teams this year and see them often. So uh, I guess it's a bittersweet. But uh, if I had to pick between the two divisions, I still love the Central. Now, you talked about seeing old, familiar faces. How nice to be seen. There, there are some new faces in, in Columbus this year. You know, Yarmo went to work in the offseason. What, um, you know, in, in Miko Koivu, just a, a savvy veteran uh, who will bring some nice leadership in there. And then, and then, you know, made a nice trade for Max Domi. You know, sad to see Josh Anderson go, but uh, Max Domi, a, a fine young player coming in. What, 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 do you, what do you see those two bringing to this organization? As far as Koivu, I, I, I think he's going to bring, you know, everybody talks about his leadership. You know, he's an old pro. Uh, he comes from a family of hockey, obviously. is this. You know, I, I grew up watching his brother, Saku yep. Koivu, uh, you know, with Montreal. And then obviously Miko, a little younger, still in the league. Uh, he, he's, he's just a, what they call a good pro. He does everything right. And honestly, before this even came about, I remember last year when the, Jackets were fighting for a playoff spot, and we played against uh, Minnesota. And that's mm-hmm. when uh, Zach Wierenski scored that really ridiculous goal there to win the game. Yeah. I remember Miko Koivu was one of the guys that really stood off for me uh, in that game. I think their line ended up scoring three of the goals. It, there yeah. were that third line, yeah. but he was, like, just on fire, and he, he seems, like, full of energy and revitalized. I'm like, dude, this guy's old. So, clearly, the Jackets <laughs> saw the same thing because they went and got him. So, I, I think that's a great acquisition that's going to, you know, it's going under the ra- radar right now, but I think it could pay off big for them, not just because of veteran re- leadership, but what he's going to bring to the team uh, as far as production. And then, uh, you know, Max Domi, I think, is going to be a big, big plus. 
He's not the biggest guy, but he plays with energy. He's got that feistiness that we know uh, towards love. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that wants to prove himself as well. Had a great year two years ago in Montreal. Last year, things didn't work out like he wanted to. He wants to play center. He's got a good chance to play center here, obviously, with some good players. And what he's going to bring to this team as far as skill level, especially on the power play, is what I'm looking forward to because we've talked about this power play for, oh my gosh, 19 <laughs> years now, <laughs> right? It seems every year, it doesn't matter who's in this lineup, you know, Matt Duchesne, Panarin, you know, the Zingo, all these guys, power play still not working out. You need somebody who can generate offense. And I think Max Domi is going to be a big help. That's going to be so weird. We t- you talked a lot about Miko Koivu. It's going to be 15 years he played with the Minnesota Wild. 15 yeah. years with the Wild. He has never played anywhere else. Yeah. It's going to be so weird seeing him suit up in a Blue Jackets jersey, but I hope he brings that kind of uh, leadership uh, that, that you're talking about, especially to, uh, you know, he, he probably isn't going to be on the, on the top line. So uh, wherever he finds himself uh, in that rotation, I, I, you know, that leadership could be huge, especially for such a young team uh, like the Blue Jackets. Yeah, absolutely. And you got two younger center, you know, you look at Domi and Dubois, two young guys. Uh, they're going to learn a lot from him. But, uh, you know, I don't want to underestimate his production. I'm telling you, Nico yeah. Koivu can bring more offense than uh, people think. And I think he's going to be, you know, him. Right now he's playing, I think, with uh, at practice today, he was with uh, Boone Jenner on his yeah. left and then uh, Michael Grigorenko on his right. And, you know, Grigorenko is another guy that, uh, you know, is, you know, it's a kind of signing that nobody's really talking about. But I saw him put a couple uh, shot past the goalies in practice today. And he, he's got that pure goal scorer instinct where, where I'm like, wait, did that just go in? He's one of these guys. <laughs> yeah. So if he can get his confidence going, I would not be surprised to see him or have a more prominent offensive role with the Jackets, you know, being on the power play. But if one of the first, you know, uh, two sets of lines, uh, wingers are dragging their feet, I could see him getting elevated real quick. All right, so there's a little drama going on with the team. Uh, so we got to talk about that for a second. But uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, uh, didn't make it super secret, even though he maybe said one thing. He certainly has come off other ways uh, that he – uh, wasn't super excited to be returning to the Blue Jackets. They finally did get a contract signed with him. So he is finally under contract uh, and he says he's ready to go, but he does that thing like, uh, again, it, it reminds me of what's going on in the NBA right now too, where James Harden uh, in Houston goes into a press conference and he's like, I'm fine. I'm happy. This is great. And uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois doing a little bit of that. He, uh, he is such an integral part of of the team's success. Uh, uh, just... How are you feeling about that? Uh, word is that he still kind of is telling people that he wants out of Columbus. Uh, you know, how does that impact a locker room? It's wanted or not, it's going to have an impact. I just hope it's not a negative impact. And, you know, the minute I heard that, I'm like, oh, crap, not again. You know, oh, yeah. we just went through it with Bobrovsky <laughs> and Panarin for a full year. And if you're playing to your full potential and helping the team, all you can hope is that he changes his mind. But at the end of the day, these guys are all professionals. And I've been in those situations sure. where players that, you know, they're like, yeah, I just want to get traded. Uh, they know what they need to do to be on the team. 
Uh, you know, his teammates are going to be behind him the whole time. Uh, it's it's sad to hear, honestly. And I'm not saying, you know, he's going to leave for sure. It's definitely not what you want to hear, especially at a, as a fan when you haven't had yeah. hockey for a while and the season just didn't even start yet. And you hear that your number one center wants to leave. Uh, hopefully they figure it out. But as far as a distraction, I've watched the practice the last couple of days. And obviously the team is not on a four, you know, four game losing streak. Everything is nice right now. Everybody's having right. fun. Sure. So I, I wouldn't be, you would be foolish to say it's not going to be a distraction at some point in the season. But if the Jackets are playing well and Pierre Luc Dubois playing well, I don't think it's going to be a distraction. Now, the minute that Pierre Luc Dubois is not producing and the team starting to slide down and all of a sudden Pierre Luc Dubois sitting for a couple of games or, you know, he's down to right. the third line, that's when, you know, uh, as they say in English uh, in French or whatever, crab's going to hit the ceiling, right? So that's when <laughs> that's when it's going to get elevated a little bit more. But, you know, remember when Panarin was here, it's not like we heard all season long Panarin's leaving in the national right. media. It was more locally yeah. they were talking about it, but it was never really a big distraction. So hopefully the same thing happened here with the Jackets and the Pierre-Luc Dubois. Now, like I know, I know you're not going to know the actual reason he did, but like when a when a guy is in that mindset, why why would he reluctantly like sign a contract, with, with you know, re up with the, with the team that he doesn't you know seems to seems to not want to play anymore, play for anymore. So it goes back to just being a professional and common sense. Okay, so it's like I'm not not going to sign and say I'm staying home until you trade me. Because okay, so from what I read, right, Pierre-Luc Dubois yeah. is looking for, it has nothing to do with, you know, Columbus or the coaching staff or the GM or he wants a bigger stage, right? So okay. it's like, what's a bigger stage, right? So that's what's being reported again, right? So mm. a bigger stage means you want to be on a bigger hockey market or do you want to be with better players or nobody really knows what bigger stage means. Do you want to play in a big market like Montreal? Do you want to go back to Montreal? Right. What is it? Mm -hmm. Well, trade with a Canadian team right now is not happening. You know, <laughs> you know, if you trade for a guy and you have to wait literally half a month to get him back because of the quarantine, that's 14 days, that's seven games, right? That's like more than like 15% of your season right, that you're losing right, without yeah. <laughs> where you can't play the guy that you just trade away. And then now you have, the guy missing that you're acquiring can't play for you for a quarter of the season. So it's really Ugh. something that I think he looked at it. He understand he's on his entry level deal and, you know, mm -hmm. Columbus owns his right. And the only way that he's going to play hockey is with the Columbus blue jackets, unless he's like, Hey, I'm not playing. I'm going to the KHL or to, you know, playing men's league somewhere in Cincinnati or Cleveland. If you want to play, <laughs> hockey and get paid Columbus is the only option right now and that's probably what's best for your value anyway so I think it's just a, a smart business decision and it's a smart decision as an athlete because you're only 22 years old yes you've done really good things in the league but you know the ceiling is so high for this guy we're just tapping the potential so I think as we're looking purely the board from year to year he's only going to get better and better and better yeah, so. it's 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 a hard thing to talk about as as a fan. It's just twenty two years old. Uh, this kid, like you said, he's he's only going to get better. He's already really good, uh, and it's a hard thing to hear because, again, in this era, 
you can be a superstar in Columbus. You can be a superstar in St. Louis. You can be a superstar anywhere. It doesn't matter where you play anymore. This isn't 1985 uh, or 1990 where you got to, you got to leave a Canadian team to go to LA to get on a bigger stage. You know what I mean? Right, like right, right. exactly. You can be a star anywhere. And it's, that's a, that's, uh, you know, you don't, I don't judge anybody. You, you only live your life and that is what it is. But that's just as a fan, it's like, man, you're 22. You right. can go be maybe another one of the really good players that played for the New York Rangers, or you could be like the one guy. of the guys that played for the Columbus Blue Jackets. That's what's ahead of you. And it's, it's, it's hard to hear. Like, I just want to leave for a bigger stage. Right, right, right. It's hard to hear. And it's, uh, you know, it's funny because I look at it like for some, it's not fair for me to give an assessment and it has nothing right. to do because of my position with the Blue Jackets. It was literally because, sure. listen, I retired and after, you know, I moved to Europe and I kept Columbus as my home because I decided right. I want to live here, right? So sure. because I'm partial toward Columbus because I loved it, it has nothing to do with my job with the Blue Jackets. To me, my first thing is like, dude, you're crazy. Why would you want to be here, right? Uh, right. And I'd be like, Columbus is great, but everybody's different. You know, everybody's yeah. – I remember when I talked to my wife, when I was with the Atlanta Thrashers, I almost got traded to the New York Rangers. It, it was like it came this close. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope I don't go to New York. <laughs> and you're like – my wife's like, are you crazy? New York would be great. I was like, New York is fun to go in for 24 hours, and I just want to get yeah. out of there. Yes. But that's me, right? And you see Panarin wanting to go to New York. He wants the big city lights. That's the type of pace of life he wants to live. So everybody's so different. I sure. don't know what Pierre-Luc Dubois wants, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously it sounds like uh, it is not Columbus. So Jean-Luc, I, I, I can't like, I didn't hear anything you just said because I can't get the picture out of my head of a, just a, a men's league at the local YMCA just warming <laughs> up and Pierre-Luc Dubois walking in. <laughs> That's right. Hey, why not? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, sure. Just dominating. Hey, Ted, go fight him. That's right. Uh, uh, Let's talk about, uh, you know, hopefully they can work it out. Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, again, I think success cures a lot of things uh, in sports. And uh, if this team is successful, and and I kind of hoped that that was going to be the case last year, because I think last year kind of galvanized the team a little bit after Panarin left and after Bobrovsky left. And then they still found a way to be successful and, and they played well in the bubble and uh, you had a lot of young guys step up and hopefully that can happen uh, and they continue that process. But uh, uh, on the youth end of things, uh, let's l- talk about one other area of the team. And I think it, it's got a chance to be uh, not just a strength of this team, but one of the, the top level strengths all around hockey, uh, the goaltender position. Uh Man, those guys made a name for themselves last year, didn't they? The, the Jonas Corposalo and Elvis Merzlikens, man, they they made a name for themselves as a couple of young guys that are uh, really, really good in that. Yeah, they really did. Before we touch on the goalies, though, I want to go back to what we were just talking about, about sure. the city and winning. And I was talking to, uh, I think it was Aaron Portsline about it a couple of days ago, and we were talking sure. about, like, Columbus and, you know, I told them, I was like, look at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh almost lost this franchise like twice, right? And right. if it wasn't for the arrival of Sidney Crosby, they, 
the igloo would be gone and there would not be a new arena and the Pittsburgh Penguins would probably yeah. be playing in West Virginia or wherever that you know <laughs> oh, would have God. been bought by I mean it was it was really close right and all it took is one player to change this whole franchise and now you look at guys and they you get trade to Pittsburgh and it's like the greatest thing in the world because right it's nothing to do with the city of Pittsburgh. I mean, it's the same right. climate, you know, it's not like you have you right. know, beaches and everything. So <laughs> everybody wants to be in Pittsburgh because they know that's their best chance to win a championship and they want to be in a winning culture. And I think that's, that's where the blue jackets are right now. You know, it used to be uh, Columbus is a starting team and then now they're a successful team, but it's taking that next step. Right. And yeah. that's what will bring free agents and what, you know, guys will want to come to Columbus has nothing to do necessarily with the city depending what your priorities on it's just guys they want to win and be in a successful franchise well let me piggyback off of that uh with, with you john luke you know this this team this blue jacket team i mean despite all of the the, the veteran players that have left the city uh, you know, over these last couple of years these young guys have gotten a lot of postseason experience you know they, they just haven't really been able to get over that hump now i know they've played obviously some very elite teams but you know what's it going to take for them to make that next step you think uh to me the biggest thing is uh and again it, it, we talked about the division realignment i think the mm -hmm. blue jackets need to find a way to be you know last year there was no way they could have done better than what they had with all the injuries and everything. Just the fact that they made the playoff was a miracle, mm. but you got to stop being that last seed. It seems yeah. like every year right. the blue jackets right. are playing the Stanley cup winner or the Stanley cup <laughs> finalist in the first round. <laughs> yes. Right? And so, so you just need to find a way to qualify for the playoff, but not just in the last three game of the season. <laughs> yes. Just get in just like even middle of the pack, man, give me a little something, something here because you know, <laughs> that 16 spot is not giving you great odds. You can upset oh, the first no. one, no. right? Like two years ago, you upset the Tampa Bay, lightning and, and you know the world's on fire but guess what next round you're playing boston baby right, yeah, right. That, so if you can right. qualify a little higher your route to success may be a little easier so maybe that's play what the they panthers everything's yeah. great yeah, exactly. <laughs> perfect yeah. right. first round right, match. right right so you want to talk about goalies so uh, I don't know if you guys know, I love goaltending. Uh, I am addicted to goaltending equipment since I'm a kid. I play goalie in man's league now. This is my, yes. these two guys are my guys. So Elvis and uh, uh, Corpusalo, uh, two great young goaltenders. Corpy sat behind uh, <clears throat> Bob for years. And mm -hmm. the guys were pulling from for him to be successful last year. Had a great beginning of the year all-star nomination and then you know blows his knees and then everybody heard about elvis you know uh, all the way up to camp you know people are asking torts he's he's excited about elvis he's like i've never seen the kid play so we'll see and there was a little bit of a learning curve for elvis but the minute uh that he knew the team was counting on him basically because corpy was out he stepped up and was one of the top two three goaltenders in the league right during that whole yeah. period so great goaltender now it's about repeating that success and i think these mm -hmm. two guys especially this year it's a great scenario for them 
56 games in what 120 days barely you'll be playing every yeah. second night so you will need a one-two duo you can't ride one goalie doing the whole thing they'll pull their groin within game three or four right so it's going to be really interesting to see the follow-up and hopefully it's success from these guys and see where they can take the team but i'm telling you with another year of experience under their belt uh, after all the le- lessons they've learned last season, I'm really, really excited to see these two guys battle again this year. I love how yeah, you said the, you're a, Oh, go ahead, Chad. Oh, I was going to say, the patience that they've shown with uh, Corpusalo has, yeah. it seems like it's really paid off, Jean-Luc. Like, what have they, what, like, what did they see? Because, like, because you know, I told you, I, I, I work for the Monsters, and you, you mentioned that Corpusalo sat behind Bob for all those years. Well, when he was with the Monsters, he wasn't the number one goalie with the Monsters. Either. No. You know, Anton Forsberg was the number one goalie. So, right. you know, I, I take us behind the curtain a little bit. Like, what what type of worker is he? Like, what you know, uh, how did he get better? What what uh, what did the organization see that made them believe in him so much? Uh, I think it's uh, a couple of things. It's a lot of it is desire, and a lot of it mm-hmm. is when you draft a goaltender, it, it, you look at the athletic abilities. You don't necessarily look at the numbers because. You know, Manny Legacy was the goalie coach. Like, he kind of changes and adjusts the goaltender's style to make them more NHL-ready. And I think for Corpusalo, it was just about getting rid of old habits and learning, okay. first of all, the North American game, the pro game. You sit behind Sergey Borowski, who arguably was one of the best goaltenders in the NHL while right. he was here. And on top of it, yeah. probably one of the hardest you know, uh, working goaltenders you'll ever see. I mean, this guy's regiment is absolutely ridiculous when you talk about Sergei Bobrovsky. So for Corpy to sit behind this guy for three years and see a number one that is going to play every other game prepared the way he was, I think made him a better goaltender to be able to sit. Kind of like when we saw Aaron Rodgers bite his, you know, bullets and sit behind yeah. Brett Favre and all these guys yeah. and stuff coming yeah. in and say here yeah. the net is yours or the ball is yours these guys sit behind a veteran and really learn the game how to really take care of yourself and all the teammates they love that to see a guy that's been through the ups and downs and really earn you know paid his dues to get where it is so that's what happened I think uh, two things uh one good football reference he said you, you know you didn't grow up a big <laughs> yeah. football guy but you came in throwing flames there with that football reference love that two yeah i'm going to, this is not my place to do this but i'm going to credit your love of goaltending to one of my favorite players of all time of all time one of your uh teammates on that inaugural columbus blue jackets team the one and only ron tugnut the greatest <laughs> name in all of sports history and two uh nobody has ever played pretty decent at goalie but also look like they could it your computer like fix your computer at the same time ron tugnut one of the all-time greats ron tugnut is probably the i would say in all the players i've ever played with the least likely to be recognize if we go out in a restaurant you know if (laughs) if four of us guys went out (laughs) And they'll be like, who's this guy? You know, you could say he's your accountant, your tax guy, yeah. your lawyer. He's everything but a teammate, right? He's your trainer. I mean, he was so small and skinny and he had these little glasses. And did yes. not look like an athlete whatsoever. But what a goalie he was. It's so funny. Love it. That's awesome. 
All right, let's finish up with the Blue Jackets real quick. So just give us kind of what are you feeling? Best case scenario, how do you feel like this season's going to go for the Blue Jackets, especially, you know, considering that it's going to be different. They're going to play this conference. And and do they have a run in them? How far can this team make it? I think, finally, they're not going to be the last team to qualify. Uh, <laughs> you know, fingers crossed, right? Again, we're finger crossed. Dubois playing good. Domi's playing well. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't get like, 22 guys get hurt or, you know, yeah. like break their legs in the same corner, like Jonesy and Bjorki. So uh. if, if Cam Atkinson has a bounce back here, right. And Dubois playing well, Felino can click. I think the blue jackets will probably finish second. I don't know. Mm. who's going to finish first. I don't know if it's mm. going to be Dallas. I don't know if it's going to be Tampa. Uh, so I don't see the jackets winning the division, but I see them in the top two. Uh, wow. That's where that's hey. where I see them personally, and it's not just because I'm a Brzezka guy because I'd say, oh yeah, they'll make the playoff. But I, I don't see why they wouldn't finish that high. I think it's gonna it's gonna be two things: the power play need to score some goals, and then yes. we need to stay out of injury <laughs> yes. trouble, right? And then you know, obviously, God forbid, you know, COVID outbreaks or anything like that. But that's right. out of your control. But uh, for me, it's staying healthy, right? And if you look at the goaltending, nobody in this division has a better goaltending duo than we have. And right. I think goaltending is going to be so key this year. Uh, it's probably one of the most underestimated thing going into this season. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll wrap up with a couple quick things. I appreciate it. First of all, uh, I know you, uh, aside from doing this stuff with the Blue Jackets, uh, you've gotten into real estate. Uh, you've been doing that for a while down in Columbus, right? I appreciated yeah, yeah. the website. What's the what's the real estate company you work for? Uh, the Reigns Group. Yeah, I'm getting free plug. It's fine. Uh, uh, I appreciated their website because they gave us great information on you as we were we were just uh, you made a little video like a little bio video for them, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. Uh, so one of the things I have to know now we're just going to get into a couple fun things before we let you out of here. Uh, you said you have a 16 year old son, right? Yes. And you said down on that lower level where you hang the jerseys in the house, yeah. uh, you and he get into some video game battles. Oh yeah. You should so what, see what, our- what battles have we got going on. What games? So we, we have a video game set up. We have a whole bedroom that Vin converted into a video game room. So we have, oh. Two Xboxes, two TVs, and we have we bought some simulator chairs and steering wheels from Fanatec. The steering yes, wheels, the, the, the nice. Formula One simulators. <laughs> so every Sunday we have uh, qualification racing and you know uh, trials <laughs> oh, wow. on Saturdays. So we just set that up during the quarantine. It's upstairs, so I pray yes. I'm, uh, to go or practice uh, later. So. <laughs> A lot of racing happening to this quarantine, and we'll play a lot of NHL as well. But that's a new setup. So, yeah, him and I, we we bond over video games in a weird uh, way. It's fun. You, you don't let him win, right? Yeah, but you don't let him win. You know, when he was younger, I used to pound him, and my <laughs> wife used to say, hey, take it easy on him. It's not going to be fun. And I was just trying to get him better. And now he actually right. beats me and he's actually faster on the tracks than I am. So it's kind of reverse psychology because I'm not having much fun because he beats me most of the time, unfortunately. So slapping the wheel out of his hands now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely got the upper hand on me as far as racing and video games. So he's winning everything. And uh, yeah, so he's now taller than me. 
Uh, oh, geez. Better at video games. It's just not fun. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. All right, let's see here. Um, now, you played overseas a bunch, you know, a, a, a bunch during your career uh, there, John. Now, I know you never played in Russia. You never played in Russia. But I keep hearing every single little hockey thing. I keep hearing about the Russian gas. Have you ever heard any stories of any guys who have been taking Russian gas, ending up in a brick room with just a, a, an IV coming out of the wall? <laughs> and, and they're like, here, sit down here. You're taking this after the game. Have you heard any stories? I've heard of the Russian gas from a few of my teammates. Uh, they, what was his name? Was it Byron Defoe? which I played with in Atlanta, I believe. Uh, he told me a little bit about the Russian gas. And then also oh. uh, the gas. other good stories about Russia is uh, you'll pay off for goaltenders coming off the bus to lose games. Uh, it, it's, uh, there was a lot of funny stories about the Russian <laughs> thing. Yeah, I, I stayed out of Russia. There was, uh, yeah, it was a little too uh, weird for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. They actually, Byron Defoe, team took his passport away from him what yeah because he said he was what? leaving and when you get when he got there back then in the <laughs> khl they would take your passport from you and he wasn't getting paid he said i'm getting out of here during the lockout and they held his passport <laughs> so he went he actually had to go to the embassy get a new passport oh and he literally just flee the country oh my God. so yeah i always oh stayed God. out of russia i'm sure things are better now but I oh, love sure. these Russian yeah. stories. Sounds like a, oh. a haven now. Yeah. Like I've heard, like I've heard, like I've heard, like guys getting AK-47s instead of paychecks as like rewards for winning games. It's the Wild Wild West, baby. You make yeah, a good shot. God. Here is gun. Yeah, here is gun. Here All is right, gun. Yeah, welcome. But we're glad you're on the team. Yeah. Uh, right, last yeah. thing, uh, last thing, How weird is it? You know, we talked about Miko. Uh, coming over from Minnesota, how weird is it going to be to see Chara not in a Boston Bruins uniform this year? It's going to be really, really weird. It's kind (laughs) of like, you know, you you think of it, you know, you look at Zidane Chara's career and you're like, oh, he was with the Allies, Ottawa. Nobody remembers any of that. No. Right? It's like you think Boston Bruins, you think Zidane Chara, right? It would be, so it's going to be extremely weird. And the fact that he's still in that division is even weirder because (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. I would have went like on the West Coast and make sure that I do not see Boston all year, but somehow he stayed right in that division. So all the credit for him, uh, to him, what a defenseman, what a player, and uh, hopefully things work out for him. We we won't see him this year, so it's all good. It would have been wild yeah. for 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 that Washington team, man. That they were going to have Zdeno Chera, and they would have had Henrik uh, before he opted out with some health issues. But that would have been two just icons of other franchises in that division just jumped over to Washington. That would have yeah, been crazy. That, that would have been absolutely fantastic to see for sure. Well, hey, we're going to let you out of here. We really appreciate all the time you gave us, Jean Luc Rampier. You can catch him on Fox Sports Ohio, which means you can catch him all over the state, which is wonderful. Uh, Fox Sports Ohio, unless you have Hulu, I just found that out. I got I had to buy Fox Sports because they huh. took it off Hulu. That was very disappointing. Uh, but you can catch them talking Blue Jackets as we get ready for the NHL season. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be fast. It's going to fly by, but there's going to be hockey all the time. Jean-Luc Rampier, thank you so much for joining us, and good luck covering the team this year, and uh, we'll catch you on the golf course. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Looking forward to the golf part a lot. Yes. But- Thanks for having me.
All right, and once again, thank you so much to Jean-Luc Grandpierre from the Fox Sports Network uh, TV analyst for the Columbus Blue Jackets and one of the original Columbus Blue Jackets. That was pretty cool to hear some of those stories uh, of him making his way to Columbus, his interesting journey (laughs) through the cornfields to Columbus. But uh, we really appreciate Jean-Luc coming on. Go follow him on Twitter at JLGP34. Uh, He calls himself the hyphenator because Jean-Luc and Grandpierre are hyphenated. Uh, So go follow him on Twitter. Guys, can you believe hockey is back? Unbelievable. First off, let me just say, the stories that hockey players have are just awesome. (laughs) Like, like, I I love hockey interviews. Like, the fact that he has, uh, he drunkenly bought uh, uh, a a pair of Muhammad Ali's shorts. (laughs) Yeah, right. Muhammad Ali short, like it's just this on a whim, just because the boys got him, got him hammered. Was it's just awesome. Yeah, we just have such awesome stories, and yeah, what a what a great. But yeah, hockey is back, unbelievable. Jackets start their season tonight against the Nashville Predators. Woo! Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go. You man. guys all get Finish. to. I'm ready to watch it. You guys all get to. Uh, y'all get to fight with each other in the same division down there now. The, the Predators, Joey's team, the Blackhawks, Chad's team, and uh, and the Blue Jackets all together. Uh, again, as we laughed about with the two teams that were in the Stanley Cup Finals last year. So uh, have a good time with that. Although it looks like nobody on the Dallas Stars is actually going to play because no, of the yeah. like 30 positive COVID results, like 20 of them came from the Dallas Stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, Joey, how do you feel about John Luke thinking uh, the Jackets are going to finish second in that division? Uh, just, you know. Just a couple of hairs above your national predators. Uh, where do you put the Preds at? Well, he just put <laughs> the Blue Jackets. He didn't put the Preds. Yeah, oh, the Preds. Below. Pre- below. Yeah, they're going to be below. It's they're going to be below this year. It's going to be a little bit of an off year. But you know hey, what? They'll I, still I would love them to prove me wrong. We'll get a they banner. They'll still up. hang a banner. Yeah, home of the participation trophy. <laughs> All right, boys. Well, listen, uh, our special thanks again go out to Jean-Luc Rampierre from the Blue Jackets and the Blue Jackets Network down there, Fox Sports. Uh, also, Jake Burns joined us earlier in the show talking about some Cleveland Browns. Go follow him at Jake underscore Burns 18. He does the best uh, like film breakdowns, uh, really gets technical with his coverage like we talked about. And get excited because in just a few days, this upcoming Sunday, your Cleveland Browns are on their way to Kansas City to take on the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, that game, uh, middle of the afternoon, 3.30 on Sunday afternoon. And and uh, as we said before, there's a chance, boys, that we could be celebrating. Yeah. Uh, and I know I'm pulling for, if there was a Browns-Bills AFC championship game, it would be the greatest thing maybe in the history of sports. So, Uh, That's what I'm pulling for, but I'm feeling good about it. I know you guys are as well. So, again, go follow Jean-Luc and Jake. uh, And for Joey at Garage Beers Joe on Twitter, for Chad at Garage Beers Chad, I am Michael Keefe at Garage Beers Mike. Go follow the show at The Garage Beers uh, pretty much everywhere. And we'll be back same time next week. Uh, But for all of us, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week, and cheers, everybody. 